0: Ladies and gentlemen, we are at that point in the offseason where things are starting to slow down and there's plenty of time to evaluate where each team stands, what they still need to improve on. So on that note, we are going to start an eight-part offseason series where we talk about four teams per episode, we break down the roster, we break down a couple of the prospects you need to keep an eye on, and everything in between. So buckle up, sit tight, and enjoy the show, because episode 281 of the lace Em Up Podcast starts right now. And now, it's time to lace em Up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth.
1: I'm Brett Duboff.
0: Little housekeeping notes. Um, We're going to take a week off. Uh, After recording this episode, we'll be back August 22nd, where we'll continue this series. We're going to be starting uh, this week, Brett. Uh, But uh, for this week, we're going to be breaking down the Anaheim Ducks, the Arizona Coyotes, the uh, the Buffalo Sabres, and of course, last but not least, your Boston Bruins. Uh, so uh, on that note, uh,
1: we'll get right at it. Yeah. Uh, also, just of note, it's not. It's mostly just because I'm going to be on vacation next week, and uh, Steve's busy at work and stuff. So I mean, he's mm-hmm. been more busy at work. So uh, it's uh, it's definitely. Um, it's a vacation for both
0: of it's us. It's a
1: vacation for both okay. of us, and yeah. Um, yeah, and and also like Steve mentioned at the lead-in is that like you know it's that time of the year that it, like there is more slow news now, but um, but there were definitely some trades that, and we'll talk about them. Uh, like the Air, Arizona made some moves and Buffalo made some moves um, that uh, that we didn't even really talk about. So so this is our also our chance to catch up from that sent that point of view and stuff. So um, this is more of a work in progress, um, and you know if this doesn't work, just keep in mind that. It'll be normal in about nine weeks from now. So, um, so yeah, it's just uh, it's just a way of how we're handling it all, and I, I think it was also pretty cool too, just to get into the pro- prospect kind of pool. It's like I really enjoyed the uh, prospect spotlight that we did um, last year. Yeah. Uh, during the the break from the regular season to the bubble playoffs last year. So I I figured like there this could be a good way of like kind of incorporating the prospect talks that we usually do so um, into into this and also do it like in a unique way where we're also talking about okay, what are what are these teams doing currently to, to to make their roster and who are these players that could fit fit in long term. Uh, so, yeah, we're going to go by alphabetical order. We're doing – and the beauty of this is that there are now 32 teams in the league. So, mm-hmm. we uh, we can do – it all works out evenly where there's four teams that we can talk about every week. And then um, – because I remember last time, like, there was one awkward week where we only talked about, like, three teams or, or – something. I forget the way that we actually did it. We may have talked yeah. about, like, five teams it got to be pretty awkward, so um, so it's, it's cool that it's, like, even in that sense as well. Um,
0: also, um, quick uh, disclaimer as well, if something big happens, like, I don't know, Jack Eichel getting
1: traded somewhere,
0: yep. and um, it affects teams that we've already talked about, at some point we'll jam it in with everything. Uh, yep. Or something along those lines. If a big item like that happens, we'll... We'll incorporate it uh, somehow as a separate matter, but uh, yeah, just
1: so you know. Yeah, we kind of joked about how like it, it's definitely possible that after we record this specific episode, uh, yeah, Christian right. Dvorak goes to Boston and uh, Jack Eichel goes to Anaheim, and, and then it's like, all right, well, uh, but yeah, we're we're gonna figure it out. We're we're kind of playing it by year, and um, yeah. hopefully, it's it's not gonna get too too bad, but but. By the time this is over, we'll be all caught up, and and you're already gonna be caught up too. So, um, so we're gonna start off with the Anaheim Ducks. Uh, they've kind of they were less busy than the other three teams we're about to talk about, but um, but they're they definitely um, they definitely made some interesting moves and, and things like that. Um, so I'm also gonna do it by like additions, departures, and resignings as well. Uh, the biggest addition that Anaheim has made is uh, Brogan Rafferty, which kind of tells you <laughs> how slow the Anaheim Ducks have been this offseason. Um, but he was actually a decent uh, Canucks player uh, for, uh, uh, for a while, but I guess he just uh, didn't end up amounting to anything for, uh, for Vancouver. Uh, but I do like this move by Anaheim. But this was the only addition of note for the Anaheim Ducks. Um, yeah, let me look here. Okay, he only he only played in one game for Vancouver where he had one assist in that one game. But then the year before that, he played for the Utica Comets um, where he had 45 points in 57 games. Um, and, you know, I think this is something that the Ducks have been looking for a long time now. Especially after they traded uh, Shea Theodore and they, you know, they don't have, um, what's his face, um, the guy who's in Florida now. Um, anyways, uh, Brandon Montour, uh, the, a lot of their the Sammy Badenins, uh, I think he's probably still available, but anyways, the Anaheim had to ship out a lot of their defensemen back in the day, but um, Anaheim, is in need for defensemen and We're about to get into two defensemen that they just drafted or had drafted a while ago. Um, so, um, so they, they're in better shape, but I do like this move of Brogan Rafferty, especially if he can keep up with what he was able to do in the AHL, um, with 45 points in 57 games. Um, I guess I can also talk about the departures, because that's also a short list, (laughs) and then I'll take it to you, Steve. Um, Hayden Fleury is the Seattle pick, which is in a huge loss for Anaheim. Um, Danton Heinen is going to Pittsburgh, and uh, Ryan Miller retired. Um, I guess there's also David Backus, um, and it looks like he's not going to be signing, but um, and he, he may be signing somewhere, or he may just also retire as well. But it's he hasn't officially done so. Um, I
0: remember the final game he had against the Blues yeah. and the emotions that went into that after the post game handshake. I'm pretty convinced he's done
1: playing. Yeah, I guess I guess it's it's it wouldn't be surprising and and yeah, that's a good point or a good memory on on your part. That that's true. Um, but I, it's not official, official just yet, so I'm 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 leaving him off the departures list. But anyways, um, those those three guys, or I guess those four guys, um, however you want to put it, um, aren't huge losses either for for the Anaheim Ducks. Um, do you have anything on on these additions and the departures?
0: I think for the most part, Rafferty at first is going to be a depth guy, but. He could have the potential to be a top four guy if, yeah. if he plays his cards right. I think there's untapped potential there. Mm-hmm. Greg Patteron is a guy that's been everywhere, uh, probably slots in on the third pairing, or he's good minor league depth, uh, worst-case scenario. So I I think they, they did a good job of stocking up on depth guys they can put in the AHL if they think... I don't know, someone like Trevor Zegres or Jimmy Drysdale Good. is ready for the NHL full-time, and they can bring in guys that they can just slot into the San Diego Gulf system so that the young guys can just go out and play and develop as NHL players. So I think that's mostly what these guys are going to serve as. Their purpose is mostly going to be uh, keeping uh, guys like Zegres and Drysdale, keeping their stalls warm uh, in the AHL, in case they're gone for an extended period of time and probably don't come back ever. But, uh, yeah, that's that's pretty much my thoughts on the signings. In terms of the departures, Heinen's a depth guy that I think has some value, but uh, I don't really know what difference he's going to make on the Ducks. Um, Hayden Floria was really hoping that um, they know, would uh, find a spot for plans. him, but for whatever reason, it it just didn't work out. Um, Backus, if if they do bring him back, it will have to be at a discount because right of course he's not worth bringing back at the cap that he was signed yep. for. Uh, in terms of re-signings, uh, Steele. Well,
1: I'm about to get into yeah. the re-signings. <laughs>
0: um, okay, uh, but but yeah, for, for, in a in a nutshell, um, I don't think the Ducks are any better or any worse after. The uh, the signings that they brought in and uh, the departures that have left. Uh, yeah, still they're still in a rough place.
1: Yeah, that's fair to say. I I think what I I feel like these this Ducks team is very much like what the Minnesota Wild were last year. It's like they have this huge top prospect, the biggest prospect, um, who's. Uh, I guess Zgris is kind of an NHLer at this point, and he's played some games compared to what Kaprizov was last year. But you know, there's a lot of hype around that guy, and um, around both those people. Um, and Zgris does have the potential to change the franchise entirely, just because of it, in the same way that Kaprizov was able to do for the Minnesota Wild. So I think there is that potential, but. Um, I, I do think that this team still needs some help <laughs> with um, surrounding him with good players as well. Um, like, you, you look at the their cap-friendly page, um, they do have... Um, they do have, like, Adam Henrique and Jacob Silverberg, um, and those guys did not have their best years. We do know what they're capable of, but, you know, they're also... Thirty years old, and both of them um, were were not so good last year. I mean, I guess every everybody on this team wasn't so good, um, and like to the point where like I remember Adam Henrique was healthy scratch. We even talked about it at that point about like oh someone must be willing to trade for him or something like that because he could still be a a decent vet move, and maybe some team does make it, but. At the same time, it's like Adam Henrique wasn't playing so well, so it's like who wants him and who knows? Like maybe like a, people are thinking like, oh, maybe it's like a Corey Perry type thing or Eric stahl type thing, but um, but yeah, at this point, it's like okay, who wants him at five point eight million? Um, that seems kind of rich. Um, and same with Jacob Silverberg as well. He didn't have a great season, but we do know what he's capable of. Um, in terms of resigns, we have. Um, it was kind of surprising because I think there was rumors that um, Boston or Minnesota were interested in Getzlaf.
0: I also heard Vegas.
1: Oh, and, and Nashville was another one, uh, which w- would have been kind of a lateral move on his part. Uh, but uh, but yeah, Minnesota and I guess Boston made sense even before the I guess now that we know that David Krejci is not on the team, but this was before that news. So, so maybe that they were thinking about that. That kind of shows that maybe Sweeney already knew that Krejci wasn't going to be there. Um, but yeah, so gets that re-signs for $3 in one year. Um, I mean, I, I guess it's not too surprising that... He, I guess he um, because, like, you know, he's their captain and all that stuff, um, but... And he already has a cup and all that stuff, um, but... He's not like at the Alex Ovechkin level level, I guess, where he can't just start demanding, um, you know, just name his price and and the Ducks will do it. But um, but yeah, so so that should be interesting. I guess he'll be like a good mentor to guys like Zegris and Mason McTavish if he comes up this year. Um, so so maybe that's uh, was their thinking and he could help. Just be a good mentor to a lot of these young guys, even though he's he's not as good as he used to be. Um, Sam Steele uh, is making eight hundred and seventy fourth or eight thousand and seven hundred and uh, forty dollars, or forty thousand dollars. Sorry, I I can't, I can't talk. you eight hundred k is. Is the is the amount I'm going with? Um, Yeah, eight
0: hundred thousand.
1: Yeah. Um. So that that's Sam Steele and also Lundstrom also got that too, both for one year, both for eight seventy fourth k. Um. So so yeah, that that's not a bad deal. They still have Max Jones and Maxime Comtois. Um. I I think Comtois is probably gonna get a little bit more than what Steele and Lundstrom got, but that, you know, because I feel like Comtois was one of their better players. I actually, because I love Zgris, I was watching all the Ducks games uh, when Ziegris was playing. And when I was watching, it was clear that Comtois was one of the better players for the Ducks team um, that year. So I, I imagine that he'll he'll get signed for, for a certain amount. And they do have a fair amount in cap space, too, and... They're, they supposedly have Jack... They're in on Jack Eichel, but... If I was Jack Eichel, I don't know if I would want to do that. Um, or if, you know, it would be cool to have the two Boston University alumni... On the same team with Zegris and Eichel. But, like, especially now that the Ducks... Like, drafted Mason McTavish and they... Um, it doesn't really make sense for them to necessarily have... Like... Uh, to get someone like Jack Eichel because it's not like they're going to – they're not an Eichel away to winning the cup or even (laughs) even making the playoffs. So that part never makes sense to me.
0: With the expiring contracts as well of other guys on the team, I think it's best to do what the Ottawa Senators did. And if you're looking at guys that are entering their 30s, and they're giving you good value now. Don't waste that value. Get futures for them and yep. move them. Don't just yep. spin your tires, hope things turn around, and then you're good again when they're 34 or 35 and their best talkies behind them. Yeah. Don't think that's good asset management. So of course it, it. And and that's why I think trading a Maxime Comtois who got 16 goals and 33 points last year, probably one of the better scores on the team. Or someone like Trevor Zegers, that could be your future number one center. Yep. Why would why you move pieces like that to get Jack Eichel? When, no, when your team isn't built to win now anyway.
1: Yeah, it, well, yeah, and it's like the reason why you get Eichel on your team is because they can play with, because you want them to play with Zegris and Comtois. And if you trade one of them to get Eichel, then it's like, what was the whole point of that? So, like, yeah, you, it's, you know. It's like... Yeah.
0: It's like trading Kyle Turris for Matt Duchesne. You get Matt Duchesne to help Kyle Turris.
1: You don't trade one for the other. Yeah, but I do agree with you. It's like they could have traded Ricard Raquel uh, the last couple of years just because it it doesn't seem like – it seems like his stock has dropped a bit. But I still think he could be on a good – like he could be on a a good supporting cast for another team. Um, But like maybe they do trade him this year. Uh, Hampus Lindholm's another one that they probably could have traded um, and gotten uh, like good assets back, and even like someone like John Gibson, uh, they could have gotten someone back too because they have a uh, Lucas Dostal in the system as well, who uh, it seems like he's been pretty good too. Um, it
0: should be noted that Ricard Raquel uh, is going to be a UFA after this yep. season. He's 28 and makes uh, just under 3.8 million. So it's, a good bargain too. It's a nice, uh, yeah. it's a nice
1: contract for sure. Yeah. Um, and also Hampus Lindholm is another one that I could see them trading. Although his, uh, he's making 5.2 million uh, this year. I imagine that's going to drop in his next contract. But he's a UFA the next year. So like if the Ducks. Yeah. It, they, the Ducks could retain some salary in a trade, and it's not too bad because then you're looking at like two point one million for just one more year, so that's that's not too bad.
0: Josh Manson also a couple yep. of years older than him. Yeah, uh, yeah, he would, have, he would be. he be pretty uh, good too. He's also a UFA after this year, four point one yep. million is his cap, so just um, a little bit cheaper to afford than. Right. Ampestland.
1: Yeah, I mean, like, and if you look. And we're about to talk about the the Ducks prospects, but like if you look at their system, it's not too bad. But and you know, of course, Zegers should help you. It's like he's a franchise changer if he is as good as he is hyped. Um, although he had a pretty good start to um, to uh, his to the NHL, so who knows? But um, like you know, you still you still would want to, like, trade some of these guys because you're not going to be good right now, so you should just start trading for prospects because then when guys like Segris and guys like Drysdale and Mason McTavish start to really um, take hold and become players in the NHL, then you want these guys, like, the guys that you trade them for to be, like... Role players or supporting characters to to your t- your cup winning team potentially, um, instead yeah. of like having them waste away um, here. It's kind of like what uh, yeah, what you were saying like what the Sens did back in the day.
0: And what another team it, we're gonna talk about later is also doing yep. right now. They're stocking up on draft picks in particular. Yep for this year the ducks are not in that position yep. the ducks have their original first which is good they have their original second which is good they don't have a third they do have a fourth they have two fifths yep. they have a sixth or nashville but they gave up their original sixth and they gave up their original seventh as well they mm-hmm. need more than that in the upcoming draft in order to um accelerate their plan and while they have 17.4 million dollars in cap space that calf space isn't going to help them get any better anytime soon. Yep. And most of the free agents have already signed deals. So it's, it's slim pickings for um, the rest of the crop. So I, I'm almost at, at this point, if I'm Bob Murray, I'm trying to get as many firsts and as many seconds this year and the upcoming years as I possibly can, because that's where the future is. The future is in the next few drafts. And it, the ducks are already good prospect-wise already. If they add even more prospects to that mix, that bodes for a brighter future for them.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. So so we'll see. Um, all right. So we're so for the prospect stuff, we're not gonna do like five prospects like we did the last time, but we're gonna do uh, we're gonna do two prospects for each team. Uh, we're gonna cover their top. What we think is their top prospect. There, there's gonna be some debate. I have a feeling uh, there is one already um, uh, for next week that we have, and then um, and then we're also gonna do a wild card prospect. Uh, this wild card prospect is like in my mind. What I think a wild card is is just someone that's, um, that's like you know that may like that you should probably keep an eye on because they may be eventually be a a big part of their core of their team um, I think for uh, Steve he he kind of thinks of them as like true wild cards like they went undrafted or they went um, relatively late in the draft and um, and then all of a sudden are, are making some impact but um, but yeah i I, th- I think we have different approaches to what we think a wild card is but uh, it, it's kind. It's getting kind of tough for like teams that have a lot of pros- good prospects to talk about. Um, Anaheim right, in particular. Exactly. Yeah. And,
0: and like teams like Boston that have good players, yeah. you know, the, some of those prospects might not get a chance to succeed because the current future, the like the present day team is so good. Right. Where are you going to put all those talents? And that could also make them Wow. right too. So. I, I feel like we could see a bit of that in our selections, too.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, for, so for, like, teams that do have, like, big wild, um, like farms or big farms, it was kind of tough to figure out, okay, who's actually the top prospect? Um, <laughs> I actually – so I went with Mason McTavish. Um, I think Steve said uh, Trevor Zegers, but I don't think I, I count him as a prospect at this point. But, yes, I would agree with you that Zegers is – the top prospect, if you count him as a prospect. Uh, the other option would, would be Jamie Drysdale, but then it was like a toss up. Do you go with Mason McTavish or do you go with Jamie Drysdale? Um, they also have Jacob Perot. Um, Jacob Perot, I think that's how you actually pronounce his name. Um, and um, so they have a few of like actual top prospects, but. We went with Mason McTavish, and, and for all these guys, we actually did talk about them in our draft episode. Um, but that's not always going to be the case. because It just so happens that three of these four teams that we're about to talk about had picks in the top ten. And one of them, all the other one, happened to be on one of our favorite teams. So so just keep that in mind that it's not always going to be like the, the 2021 uh, first pick. Um, is always going to be the top prospect. It just so happens that the first four teams are. That's how it's going to happen. Um, so Mason McTavish, we have as our top prospect for the Anaheim Ducks. Um, yeah, he he was definitely an interesting. I mean, we kind of already talked about him before. He went to the Swiss League um, in uh, you know during the COVID year. Um, and then the year before that, he also went to the OHL, where he had 42 points in 57 games. Uh, the year in the Swiss League, he had 11 points in 13 games. Uh, he also played a bit in the World Juniors under 18s, where he had 11 points in 7 games. Um, it was, um, you know, I, I think this was one of those guys that, you know, kind of picked it, picked it up um, towards... Like, it it seemed like, you know, no one really heard of his name in, like, January or February. And then he was slowly rising in the draft board, slowly rising. Um, And then uh, Anaheim just picks him uh, third overall. Um, I guess there's still a... It's still unclear if he's going to be a center when he gets into the league. Um, But I I think at the same time, when you look at, like, the, the Ducks' pool... Like, it's pretty much just Trevor Zegers as a center and then everyone else. Like, uh, so it's definitely conceivable that Mason McTavish would be the second-line center. But it would also – wouldn't surprise me necessarily – I guess um, it wouldn't necessarily surprise me if the Ducks go to, like, move him to the left side because I guess he shoots left. Um, Maybe – I guess he can also go to the right wing if he wants. Um, I'm also looking here, I guess – Benoit Olivier gruel is another center in their system too, um, and most of the guys they have here are like right wingers um, or left wingers. So, so yeah, this could this could be um, a good help for for them as well. Uh, do you have anything else that you didn't already say two weeks ago? Uh,
0: so, just delving into his OHL stats uh, a little bit more, we mostly talked about the fact that he was playing in a league amongst men. Uh, in his draft year, and he got the attention of a lot of scouts in terms of his ability to make key plays at key times, not afraid to go to the Nets. Kind of gives off a little bit of Corey Perry vibes where he's just very tough to play against, can kind of get under your skin a little bit. Um, But a very underrated goal Um, scorer. In his lone season with the Peterborough Peace, so that was 2019-2020, uh, it should be noted that that Peter petes team was pretty stacked. That team traded for Akil Thomas, already had goaltending prospect for the Minnesota for a while, Hunter Jones on it, so they were loaded in the crease as well. Um, they had Nick Robertson shooting the lights out every night. Uh, they had Simeon Daragachintsov, who was a fellow Leafs prospect there. Um, and they also had a rookie by the name of makes him Tavish and he contributed with 29 goals in 57 games uh, So just doing a little bit of mental math here uh, By mental I mean I'm using the calculator on my computer that's 0.51 goals per game not bad for an OHL rookie. So he scores those 29 goals on 177 shots shut- so taking a look at that that's a 16.3 shooting percentage. Again, mm. pretty good for an OHL rookie. Five of those 29 goals were power play goals. Again, that team had Nick Robertson on it, scoring a lot of goals, and Akil Thomas later in the season. So five power play goals, all things considered, hey, pretty good. So I think for a guy that's uh, in the, born in the year 2003, January of 2003, um, so not even 20 years old yet, This guy's got a lot of room to grow. He's six foot uh, right now, 198 pounds, according to the OHL's website. Um, Still a lot of room to grow, and I think that's why a lot of people are excited about this kid, is that he's probably one of the youngest prospects that they have, and he hasn't even scratched the surface of what he's capable of, similar to most of them, Um, and I think the key for them is to find a suitable replacement for Ryan Getzlav as the number one center, and they're hoping Zegres can probably be that, but hey, if Mason McTavish turns into a solid second line center for them, hey, that's just as good too because yep. they can get a very talented Trevor Zegres dominating play and then Mason McTavish on the second line feeding off of that and maybe generating uh, some good offense yep. in his own right uh, in a secondary role. And I think that's going to be pivotal for the Ducks if they want to kick this rebuild into high gear and start winning games eventually.
1: Yeah, for sure. Like, you'll need your Evgeny Malkin. You'll need your, I guess, David Krejci. <laughs> you'll, you'll need, you know, your second-line center is, is still a very valuable and, um, you know, a hot, commo- or a hot commodity in the NHL too, so it's, it's not like, yeah, he may never be what uh, Zegris is uh, panned to be, but, you know, if, if uh, Macy McTavish is also good and makes it in, uh, you know, as a second-line center or, you know, even exceeds the expectations and um, becomes more than that, Um, then yeah, it's, it's great. Um, so, so you know, it makes your team that much more dangerous to play against because then it's like, all right, you, you're no longer a one line dependent team. You're all of a sudden a two line dependent team where both your centers are your best players on your team. Kind of like, um, dry Seidel and McDavid, I guess that's the the better example than, than the two that I gave. Um, now,
0: now, just a bit of a side note before we continue here, yep. I also think the coaching staff is going to play a huge role yep. in the development of these players. Currently, sure. Dallas Akins is the coach of the Ducks. They brought in Jeff Ford in the offseason as an assistant coach who you may remember as at one time recently yeah, he the, the head coach team. of the Calgary Flames. Oh, right, right. So that could be a backup plan if, I don't know, Eakins is fired midseason, just yep. saying.
1: That, that I could right say. That I could actually see, because it's not like the ducks. Like I mean, no one really expected the ducks to really play well, but I feel like this year, especially since the, it seems like Ziegler is going to play, right now, um, and Drivesdale will probably also be up too. It's like they're gonna try to compete, especially in this weak division. So so yeah, I could see them like if it's if it's not going poorly. Um, or not going well for them, then I could see them making that coaching move. Um, although, like you know, the Ducks getting Shane Wright uh, this year would not be a a bad um, consolation prize for them too. So yeah,
0: imagine Shane Wright and Trevor Seagrass and Mason McTavish like man, kind that, of, added, that I mean, is a trio. And Even then if not the same line, that's a trio. Yeah. And um, then
1: you have, but, uh, and then you add like Jamie Drysdale when they have power plays on there. Yeah, that'd be nuts. Yeah. I mean, yeah,
0: um, But but yeah, it, it, it adds to the argument, and it, it, it might not even be Jeff Ford. Whoever is the coach of the Anaheim Ducks needs to get the most out of these young players. Yep. And that'll be key moving forward. This For year, sure. next year, the whole nine yards. They need a coach that can get these young players to pay at a high level in the NHL and quick. They can't wait two to three years. The process needs to start right now. Yep. You saw it with the Ottawa Senators. It was a rough couple of years, but you're starting to see the progress now. Yep. Anaheim needs to start seeing progress soon.
1: Also, like John Gibson is 28 right now, um, and mm-hmm. he only like yeah he's he's still okay. He's still pretty good, but like you're kind of wasting his potential, and if you're not already, so it's like uh, why have the best goaltender in the league? when your your team's not good. So so you're I, I also sad is, to consider too. I
0: think this is the second year in a row where John Gibson has been superhuman the first two weeks and like overall the first yep. half he's been good. Second half falls straight off a cliff right. and the team goes with him.
1: But and I think a lot of a lot
0: of that is, and a lot of that is to do with the team in front of him.
1: Well yeah, I was about to say I think it's it's not all on Gibson. I think it's no, a lot no, of it is all. also just like the defense and just poor coaching. So um, so I think there is that element as well. Um, that,
0: can't, that can't be a trend.
1: Yep. Speaking forward. of defense, uh, we were going to talk about Jamie Drysdale because he could make a case that he is actually their top prospect. But uh, an interesting move, and I think Victor even mentioned this when he was talking to us about it, but the second round pick that the Ducks made this year was is uh, Olin Zellweger, who... Could like, yeah. Brent Clark and Luke Hughes, um, and Owen Power are all pretty good defensemen and will probably be pretty good defensemen when they're in the NHL. But Owen Zellweger has a chance to be the best defenseman out of all of them. Um, and I know that's like huge price, uh, th- uh, like praise for th- for this guy, but there there is a chance that he does just because it is a weird COVID year. And if you can get that kind of guy in the second round, I think they drafted him 34th overall. Um, that's, that's not a bad price to pay. So it's like it's a pretty good draft. They also got Sasha, Sasha job in the next round, um, who also could end up being a pretty good player too for them. Um, but that's, we're not talking about him. Um, so Olin Zellweger, in case you don't know, uh, he had 13 points in 11 games, um, 11 assists, and 2 goals. Um, he also played in the World Juniors, I guess, with Mason McTavish, where he had 8 points in 7 games. Um, as I just noticed on his stat sheet here, that most of the games like he doesn't really t- tend to score a lot of goals, but he does get a lot of assists and stuff, and I think that's something that's very valuable because... The Ducks, like, the biggest weak point is, yeah, they have a bunch of guys like Trevor Zegras and um, Mason McTavish, uh, Comtois, we talked about, um, you know, Jacob Perreault, there a bunch of these guys. Um, you know, those guys are all forwards. Um, and other than Jamie Drysdale, there isn't really too many, like, uh defensemen that are even on his level. I guess Cam Fowler has his moments at times, but um he's also twenty nine years old. Hampus Lindholm, um he always seems to be injured too, so um take that for what it is. Josh Manson is okay, but he's more of a shutdown guy than um anything. Um and then they have like Kevin Shattenkirk and Jacob Larson. So um, and then even at goal, like if John Gibson does start to falter, they do end up having having um, Lucas Dostel, who's also going to be a pretty good goalie for them. So so they're like just from a prospect perspective, they're pretty good on forward sides. They're pretty good on goalie sides. Uh, then they just need to work on their defense. Um, so you have Jamie Drysdale, who should be pretty good. But then, if you add Olin Zellweger and he's able to like just be this playmaking defenseman for for your Ducks team, then all of a sudden you're you're in pretty good shape for the next couple of years, assuming that all these prospects pan out. So, um, so yeah, I I really like this pick of Olin Zellweger and I am excited to see what he can do, um, yeah, in the in the coming years
0: one thing that really struck out to me about Owen Zellwiger is not only was he a point-per-game player this year, actually slightly over point a game, 13 points 11 games, that's just over that. Especially
1: for a defenseman, he, too.
0: Yeah, that's pretty good for a defenseman. He had 12 points in 58 games the year prior. Yeah. So that's quite the progression. To put that into perspective, 12 points in 58 games, using the old trusty calculator because I'm lazy... <laughs> That is a 0.21 points per game, and, and that's gone from that to over a point per game. That's pretty solid progression. Um, he has zero power play goals, um, I don't know how many of his assists are power play points, but he's averaging an assist per game. Uh, only took 28 shots uh, in those 11 games which, again, if I break up the trusty calculator there, 2.54 shots per game, that's pretty respectable. Again, defenseman, um, I think you need a guy that can launch those bombs from the point there. And, again, similar to uh, Mason McTavish, born in 2003, actually born in September, so he's even younger than uh, Mason McTavish is right now. Um, There's definitely a lot of room to grow. I like his game. Uh, I'm interested to see what he can do in a full season of hockey. Um, obviously the last two seasons were cut short by COVID. Um, but in the short amount of time that he played this year, uh, he showed a lot of upside, a lot of promise there. And I think that's, um, a little bit of an ace in the hole, if you will. Yeah. Like obviously you need guys like Jamie Drysdale, but you need those hidden gems in your prospect system that can help bolster the blue line. And, um, but man, your Bruins are going to love this. Uh, Olin Zellweger is a left-handed defenseman. Yeah. Um, I kind of feel like that's uh, a, a commodity for a lot of teams.
1: Yeah, it is weird. Like the, Now that because I'm a Bruins fan, it's, it feels like I'm so focused on finding that left-handed defenseman. It is this weird scene, like how many, like how few left-handed defensemen there are or people who shoot left-handed. I guess... I guess that part makes sense, that, like, there are fewer left-handed shooters than right-handed shooters. But at the same time, when I was thinking of, like, it does seem like there's more left-wingers than right-wingers usually for some reason, too. So I don't know how that goes. But, yeah, it, 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 it does seem like that's a hot commodity as well. You're right.
0: And for, for added context, Jimmy, Drysdale's a right-handed shot. Yep. So you are you could be looking at a future pairing, Drysdale and uh, Zellweger.
1: Yep, for sure. Um. Okay, so now we're going to go to the Arizona Coyotes, um, unless you don't have anything else on the Anaheim Ducks. I yeah, the
0: Coyotes—they did a lot. I don't know if they're better than the Ducks.
1: Yep, that's uh, that's totally they fair.
0: They're in the same level of suckage as Anaheim.
1: Well, the Coyotes are now no longer in the Ducks division, so we'll, yeah. we'll see. Well, either way, they're that the that same
0: out. level of suckage in the conference. Yep. <laughs> right, <laughs> no right, expecting my
1: yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, I, I, I think the Ducks will probably do better than the Coyotes. Um, Possibly. So I think Zegers will make that much of a difference. And Drysdale, um, he should also be up. But, but yeah, I, I, I know what you mean. Um, that they're probably both going to be like, uh, what's the saying this year? Is it going to be like, fight for right or something? I don't
0: know. The price is right. The it the price has to is right. be the price is right. No,
1: but that doesn't rhyme. I, I like fight for right. I feel like that rhymes. So, so okay. a Fight, a fight
0: for, fight for your right for first overall.
1: Yeah, yeah, or something. Well, Shane right? Yeah, no, that's like W R I G H T. Oh, I guess what you mean. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I guess I do. that's a longer it's, way it's of saying it. It's spin there,
0: on but... the infamous song <laughs> by the Beastie Boys.
1: Right. No, I know that. But, um, anyways, um, so. Actually, usually I will start doing like the additions and departures, but I feel like for the Arizona, I'm gonna take exception. I'm also gonna take exception when we cover Buffalo in a second, but but because they made a lot of trades, um, and for some reason, I guess because we had so much to cover um, in the uh, last week, uh, we didn't talk about Arizona, the Vancouver going to O E. Uh, or Vancouver getting OEL and Connor Garland. And now Steve owes me a Bruins jersey because uh, OEL is not in Boston. Um,
0: and we, we uh, so the bet was January 1st, 2022. Yep. If OEL is not a Boston Bruin, yep. I will buy a Bruins jersey and Brett will choose the player that goes on the back. And I believe the consensus is Bergeron, Correct.
1: Yes, yes, Bergeron is, it is yes. correct, yes. so
0: at some point, and I'll even tweet a photo of it, I will be the proud owner of the Bruins jersey yep. and honor the
1: back. Yeah, I was thinking of giving you like a Brad Marchand or something that I knew you would hate. I would
0: have taken Hugh just for Yeah, names. or
1: Hugh Dovin or something, yeah, or like, even like Lucic or something, because like, well actually, I, I think you actually like Marchand. But I don't. I don't know who your least favorite Bruin is. I
0: would. I would rather take Bergeron, and Pasternak, yeah. over
1: Marchand. But that, I felt like I, you know I. I, I at least I'll respect be nice,
0: Marchand as a player. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, when he's not doing stupid stuff.
1: So, so I, I felt like I should be nice to you. So I. I just figured. <laughs> yeah, <out>. I mean, <laughs> I feel like. Who doesn't if love Arizona,
0: if, if even if you don't like the Bruins, it's hard not to dislike. Exactly, like, exactly, he's the perfect human. So yeah, it, it's a no-brainer. I would have gone with Swagman as well. Oh, that would have been good. Um, yeah. But but Berge, Bergeron, I feel, is you know a common choice. So.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, anyways, going back to the Arizona Coyotes, we're gonna talk more about what uh, OEL and Connor Garland mean to Vancouver when we talk about Vancouver in a few weeks. Yes. But but they did lose them, um, and they acquired um, Antoine Roussel, Jay Beagle, Louis Erickson. Um, they also got their first-round pick, uh, Vancouver it was ninth overall, and they get uh, Dylan Gunther. Because um, if you remember, Arizona was going to have the 11th overall pick, but it got forfeited because of Chayka. Um They also got a 2022 second-round pick. And a 2023 seventh round pick, as well from Vancouver. So quite a haul for for both those guys. Uh, Connor Garland. It was kind of interesting because like I was hoping the Bruins would get him, but uh, supposedly uh, Connor Garland uh, talked to the Arizona management like maybe a day after the their season ended, and then uh, he didn't hear from them, and he still hasn't heard from them because. They just traded him because he was an RFA. He was a pending RFA. Um, it was interesting, too, because, like, you know, Connor Garland was their highest scorer, too. It's like you would think the Coyotes would want to keep him, even if you are rebuilding, because it's not like he's so old either. And they they just get rid of him. So, I mean, I I, I get I, I understand why they did it, um, because, you know, you get a bunch of picks. I think uh, Roussel, Beagle and um, and Louis Erickson are all like UFAs in the next year. So um, that's something that you can, you know, uh, consider. I'm also looking at their cap friendly page right now. They have, I think about like 10 UFAs next year, which is, which is nuts. It's like, it's laughable. Um, yeah. So basically
0: yeah. here's how it shakes up. Clayton Keller's got seven years left on this yep. deal. Nick Schmaltz is five. Andrew Ladd has two. Christ- and we'll talk about Ladd later. Yep. Christian Dvorak, assuming he's still on the team, has four years left. And that's basically all the players would turn beyond this year. Right. In terms of forwards. And then their defense, Chikrin has four years left. Ghost Spare and Timmons, we'll talk about later, they've got two years left. Stroman yep. and Leo Bush can, uh, they both have one year. So as you can tell, and even their goalies, a lot of those contracts are short-term deals that expire after this season. Yep. This is a very short-term team that isn't expected to be good and is probably expecting losing results, and they're just going to try to ice the best team they can and focus on the future. That's yep. basically the game plan. It's like it's similar to what Ottawa did a couple of years
1: ago. Yep, and uh, and it, I think they're doing it better than Ottawa too, because uh, you also they have uh, or we're about to get into all their trades as well, but uh, they have two first round picks next year. They also have five five second round picks um, in 2022. So it's like, um, so that's insane too. It's just, uh, as well. Yep.
0: And they could use, they could use some of those second round picks to move up to get another first.
1: Right, right. For sure. But like, needless to say that it's like, they have a ton of cap space. They have a bunch of stuff. So it's like, yeah, they, they didn't, uh, you know, they didn't end up having the 11th overall pick and we're about to talk about Dylan Gunther, which is the guy they did pick. But like pretty soon they're they're gonna be a like a loaded prospect pool. Even though like right now it's probably not that deep, but pretty soon they're gonna be pretty, um, pretty um, in in pretty good shape for for the future in in that sense. Um, yeah. Okay, so so then um, I guess we'll also I'll cover all the trades that happened. Um, Darcy Kemper. Also went to Colorado because I guess maybe Colorado just needed a goalie after Grubauer went to Seattle. Um, yeah, so good. he goes to Colorado. Uh, Arizona ends up getting Connor Timmins, um, which is actually wasn't a bad uh, pick uh, or like a bad. He's not a bad player. Um, I just remember because like Colorado has loads of defensemen. Yeah, um, there's no place to put it. Yeah, exactly. It's just so. Uh, but like even like I mean I guess if you look at his like stats they're not su- super impressive, um, but uh, in in terms of like when he was in the NHL he had seven assists in thirty one games, but then when he was playing in the AHL for the Colorado Eagles, uh, he had four points in six games. So so yeah that's that's not terrible um, uh, in the AHL. So it's just you have to wonder if like okay can he transition. From from uh, can he like put what he was able to do in the AHL and move that into the NHL? And he should have plenty of opportunity now um, in Arizona because they kind of revamped their their defense, um, as I'll get into as well. Um, they also, Arizona also got a 2022 first round pick from Colorado um, and a 2024 third conditional third round pick from Colorado as well. This condition is uh, Arizona receives a third-round pick if Colorado wins the Stanley Cup this year and Kemper plays in 50% of the playoff games. So that's definitely possible, but um, but yeah, we'll, we'll see if that actually happens or not. Um, and then I guess I could... Uh, yeah, I mean, I could go to the... Uh, let's just go with uh, Shane Goss' bear um, go, finally gets traded. Um, he goes to Arizona um, and he also the Arizona also gets a 2022 second round pick from Philly and a 2022 seventh round pick from St. Louis. Um, this was another trade that I mean we already talked about the Andrew Ladd trade, um, but this was another one where like it was just basically you get this player and then you get a, uh, Arizona gets a bunch of picks and then the flyers and the Islanders just get future considerations. Um, which is fine for Andrew Ladd because he may not actually play a game here. But Shane Goss' bear is a lot better than uh, Andrew Ladd is, and he's definitely going to play. So this this part's like I can understand why you do that for uh, Andrew Ladd because you're not sure if he's ever going to play in the NHL again and you just want to get rid of that contract. But for Shane Goss' bear, it's just like they – like uh, the flyers just hate him for some reason. Um, and it, it was interesting too because it's like when you look at what he was able to do for the Flyers last year, even um, even though he was like uh, he was uh, healthy scratched and every now and then uh, for most of the games and then on like third pairing even when he was playing, but he still had like 20 points in 41 games, which is which is pretty good. Um, I'm sure there, there are consensuses that he, you know, maybe he doesn't play as good defense as you would like, but like for an Arizona team that is clearly tanking and doesn't care if they win or not, like this is a pretty good bet that, you know, he's going to be a pretty good defenseman for you and who knows what you have, um, with him in the future, and this was a guy that used to have 65 points in 78 games for this, that same Flyers team. So something happened with the Flyers, and Shing goes to spare. We don't really know what, but um, but I, I don't know. I, I feel like the talent is still there, um, and, and this could be like a steal for the Arizona Coyotes. The question is, is that eventually, you know, Arizona's like, Probably also doesn't necessarily want Ghost to spare to be really good because they're clearly trying to lose all these games for their for their draft picks and stuff. But um, at the same time, it's you know maybe you, you then like trade him off to another team and, and get something more uh, than what you were able to do. But I I really like this trade for Arizona. It I don't really understand what Philly was doing, and we'll talk about what Philly was doing um, in a couple of episodes. But um, yeah. But yeah, it, 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 this this feels like it's uh, it could be a good situation for Shane Ghost Spare. He just needs a change of scenery, and this could be the change that he needs.
0: So you take a look at Ghost to Spare this past season. He had 9 goals and 20 points in 41 games. If you put that over a full 82-game season, that's 18 goals and 40 points. Yeah. Like, not 60 points a year good, but that's still pretty good. Like, Jacob Chikrin had 41 points in 56 games last year. You need some sort of secondary offense from your power play. It can't all just be on Chikrin's shoulders now that Ekman Larson is gone. Yep. So you need some sort of assistance in that regard. Ghost Bear can certainly help with that. And in his career, he's got 219 points and 381 games. That's good mileage. With Andrew Ladd, it's all about the futures. Like... They get a 2021 second this year. As you said, they get a conditional second next year, conditional third next year from the Islanders to take on two years of Andrew Ladd, who, by the way, hasn't played an NHL game since March 10th of 2020. Yep. Yeah. So, not even an NHL game this past season. His last game was before COVID shut everything down. Yeah. So, <laughs> to put things into perspective there. So, again, they're taking on bad contracts but the term is running out on those bad contracts and with Oliver Ekman Larson and Connor Garland those are guys that are going to cost money but also term yeah and the Coyotes got themselves out of that you look at the return that the Sens got it would have been much less if they signed Eric Carlson to a contract and realized, oh, God, we made a terrible mistake, now we got to trade him, but no one's going to want to take that cap it, so we're just stuck. It's the same with Matt Duchesne. Um, you could argue about that, too, when you consider how he's regressed as well. I'm not saying that Ekman Larson could regress, but that's the trouble that you get yourself in when you sign someone to a contract extension and then almost instantly, if not a few years later, realized, yeah, we probably shouldn't have done that. Yep. So that's why you're seeing multiple teams take that route of cutting their losses, getting futures out of them, and whatever happens to that player, is the other team's problem. Yep. And the Coyotes are just cutting bait with basically everyone of value right now. Um, and their defense Setter. is probably going to take the brunt of it with uh, Stroman and Ghost of Spare in the fold there. Yep. Even though I do think Ghost of Spare is going to do well, um, there's not going to be much help on the back end. It's mostly yep. going to be aging veterans and young guys helping yep.
1: them out. Uh, yeah, just really quickly here, they did get a Strawman, as you mentioned, uh, and Vladislav Kulia Chinook, which is, he's a decent player from Florida, um, as you mentioned. Um, and then, okay, so then in terms of additions, uh, further additions, uh, so Ghost to Spare, we talked about Ryan Dezingle, uh, that he signs with uh, Arizona for one year, $1.1 $1. $1 million. Um,
0: yep, that's a good depth move. I like that. Yep.
1: Connor Timmons we talked about. Andrew Ladd, we talked about in a few uh, previous episode. Louis Erickson, Jay Beagle, and Antoine Roussel, we already talked about. Joseph Coronage, we kind of talked about... Um, but uh, I still don't get
0: that Aiden Hill trade. Yeah, yeah, I, that's a crazy one. Uh, that that's just gonna eat at me. Yep. I Like, they must be really confident that Prospektov's gonna be the guy someday. I don't know why else yeah. they do this other than they were forced to, and Aiden Hill didn't want to play in Arizona. Yeah, yes. I think. Yeah. The only logical reason I could
1: I know it's like I understand Aiden Hill wasn't so great la- like the last couple of seasons, but like he really picked it up and figured it out mm-hmm. last last you know last year. So yeah, I agree yeah, with and you. I the strategy was great, was great yeah. for them. Yeah, exactly. Uh, they also get Carter Hutton for 750k. Um, that's probably just because they're tanking and and don't. Just want to get some a goalie for cheap. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah.
0: for the price, it's good depth, but I don't think it'll be a long yep. stay for
1: him. Uh, Dimitri Jaskins, they also get for one year for three point two million. Um,
0: I thought that was a bit pricey, but I yeah okay, I guess roll the dice if you're not expected to win. Yeah, I
1: mean, I I don't hate it, but it is a little odd because he he does seem like a bottom sixer, but maybe he'll get a lot of opportunity in in the desert. Um, and then I mean, last, the
0: way things are going, he could be a top six player. For yeah. Them. He probably
1: will be. Yeah. Uh, seven. Uh, and then we have Travis Boyd who, uh, is playing for one year at 750 K. Um, that's probably yeah, like another that. death move as well. Um, as for departures, uh, Tyler Pitlick was the Arizona pick, but then he, he goes to Calgary on a separate move. So he's, I have Calgary via Seattle. Uh, Connor Garland we talked about oel I guess' it's, uh, Oel was the captain for uh, Arizona so um, just from a leadership standpoint it, it is a little sad for them but um, it is very clear what Arizona's doing and I can understand why oel wanted to go um, so it wasn't like so shocking but um, but yeah I, I feel like from a leadership standpoint they'll probably miss him but at the same time, it's like they're definitely going in a different direction. So so maybe it's like uh, a win-win for both of them. Uh, Darcy, yeah. Darcy Kemper. I, I think,
0: I think the, for the most part, it, sorry to interrupt, Brad, He's it'll sorry. be an assistant captain by committee yep. where they have like two or three guys rotate, uh, maybe not rotating the sea, but they'll have assistant captains they would defer yep. to. But I think like Ottawa, there's not going to be a team captain for a while. I don't yeah. really see a noticeable name Taking the reins right now. Well, the only especially, noticeable, especially if they move guys further.
1: Yeah. The only noticeable name is Jacob Chikrin, um, but yeah. um, and maybe and maybe Clayton Keller. But I, I feel like Chikrin is probably the only untradable player for Arizona. Like everyone else on this team could be traded, um, except for Chikrin, because um, he's like the, he's also like the only one that's on a long term for Arizona as well. So um, I guess, I guess Dvorak is also on a long term and, and Keller is also on a long term. So, so I, I, I think if yeah, I had Seattle to get, gu- Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I, I think if I had to guess, it would be Chikrin who's going to be the captain next, but I agree with you. I, I think they'll probably wait a year until they decide. Um, and then, um, okay also to k- keep from here uh, anti Ronta is going to Carolina a little bit odd but we'll talk about that when they I, when we talk about Carolina Eden Hill goes to San Jose um, a bit of a minor move but um, but he was pretty good in the HL a couple of years ago Breeden Burke he's going to LA um, as well um, in terms of
0: I, I, I will say as a minor side note I don't know why they didn't keep Michael Bunting but-
1: oh yeah. The limited amount of
0: progress that he showed, I thought it was worth bringing him back for one more year. And if he continues to keep it up, maybe get a decent haul for him, even if it's just a second round pick. But the fact that they lost him for nothing, a little bit of poor asset management there.
1: For some reason, I didn't put him in my notes, but yeah, he goes to Toronto. Uh, Resignings, I don't have any here. Uh, they do have, let's see who they I don't think they have anyone left to sign notes, so they don't. Um, so they're in good shape on that perspective. But as we mentioned, like pretty much they have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve UFAs next year, and <laughs> three RFAs next year. So, yeah. um, so this, this team is probably not for long, um, <laughs> even. Even if they are miraculously good, uh, so and on top of that, yeah. on top
0: of that, they have a new coach that has never been a head coach at the NHL level.
1: Yeah, that's a good charity. point.
0: So he's he's walking into a tough situation here.
1: Right, right, for sure. But like, I I think we understand what Bill Armstrong, the GM, is is doing here, just by getting a bunch of picks, getting a bunch of like guys that people just didn't believe in in Shane goes despair. Um, and, um, and maybe Connor Timmons as well. And then, uh, just see how it goes and, and just like, you know, build your team around Chikrin, um, even Keller and then Dylan Gunther eventually, um, you get there. Um, so, uh, so that brings us to our top prospects here, which is Dylan Gunther, um, and I think, we have, as we mentioned before, I guess Arizona, like the, the top prospect before uh, Gunther was drafted in Arizona was probably Victor Soderstrom, um, who they still have. But I feel like uh, Gunther has that playmaking, goal scoring ability that Victor Soderstrom doesn't have. I guess you could also make a case for Barrett Heaton as well, but um, who knows what's going on with him, And as well as like ja- John Janik who we talked about last year as well, so so maybe, we'll see. Um, anyways, uh, Dylan Gunther, uh, he had uh, 12 points, uh, sorry, 12 goals, 12 assists in 12 games, and so that's 24 points in 12 games. Uh, that's also in the WHL, um, and then even in, uh, what he played a little bit in the AJHL, where he had 5 points in 4 games, so he already overplayed um, who was too good in that league for Sherwood Park, and then he played for Canada um, under 18s, where he had seven points in seven games, um, and four goals and three assists. The thing that's interesting about Gunther is that because he w- went to Arizona, I wonder, like you know, it's not. I guess he could play with Barrett Hayden eventually, but it's not like. Arizona has too many centers to, like, help him out. Um, and he, it's not like, you know, wingers usually don't drive play as much. So so it's like um, he may need another player to set him up and, and be that guy for him. Um, so maybe that is going to be a Barrett Hayden Witt, and Dylan Gunther type duo or something for him. Um, or maybe if they do eventually trade Christian Dvorak, then they'll get someone a center back and, and see what they can do with him. So, so yeah, we'll see. But, um, that, that was like the interesting thing is because Arizona isn't so good at the prospect pools right now, like Dylan Gunther may also be affected in his development because he's in Arizona. But like, again, if they end up getting Shane, right, which is definitely possible, um, then, yeah, Shane Wright with Gunther, that's that's a pretty good duo.
0: Mm-hmm. And taking a look at um, what uh, Gunther brought um, to the table with the uh, Edmonton Oil Kings uh, this past season, um, it should be noted that Edmonton was a very, very, very deep team. 24 points in 12 games um, might seem like a lot, Um it, it's six best on the team.
1: Yeah,
0: uh, Jake Neighbors had 33 points in 19 games. Josh Williams had 30 points, uh, 17 of which were goals. Jalen LuiPin had 16 goals and 29 points. Carter Such had 27 points. Uh, Kate, Olive, uh, Kate Oliver had 25 points. Uh, and then there's uh, Dylan Gunther. However... Those guys played between 19 to 23 games. Gunther only played in 12. So he was averaging exactly two points per game on the nose. And uh, he was also averaging a a goal per game on the nose. And uh, what really fascinated me in particular about um, Dylan Gunther is how it broke down game by game. If you take a look at his stats, his very first game of the season, he has two goals two assists for four points next game does it again two goals two assists then his third game he gets two goals then he gets two goals and assist in his fifth game followed by two assists the game after that then he gets another three-point game a few games later and then his final season you guessed it two goals two assists so a lot of multi-goal games he had a couple three-point games he had three four-point games just a very explosive player in a short period of time. And if you uh, divide his 51 shots on goal by 12 games, that gives you an average of 4.25 shots per game. So you're looking at a guy that can shoot the puck with efficiency, um, but also shoot it often. And only two of his 12 goals were on uh, the season came with a power play. So over a full WHL season, that's at least 10 power play goals, maybe 15, maybe a bit more than that. Uh, that's a guy that can score. And the Coyotes, without Connor Garland, uh, without a legit goal scorer e- even before then, um, y- you need, as I said in the episode with Victor Nuno, that Coyotes need goal scoring from somebody. Yep. And they need a pure goal scorer. And Dylan Gunther is the closest thing they have to that. So they they are putting all of their eggs in this basket and hoping that Gunther is able to perform because they need him to perform. They need goals.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, so the next guy we're going to talk about is uh, the wild card prospect is John Farinacci. Um, he didn't play a lot uh, this last year just because... Uh, he he actually goes to Harvard and the Ivy Leagues uh, didn't play due to COVID, um, so he ended up going to the USHL, um, where he had eight points in seven games for the Muskegon Lumberjacks, uh, where he wore the A. Um, he was also like, um, or at least I took note of him. I did play him a l- see him play a little bit in when he was playing for Harvard last year, but. Um, but then uh, I, I saw him a lot um, when he was in the World Juniors, where he had seven points in seven games uh, for Team USA. Um,
0: Should also uh, be noted that uh, Ryan Donato's his cousin, apparently.
1: Oh, interesting. Yeah, I, I, oh, that's that's interesting. According to uh, um, Elite Prospects, yeah, that's 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 yeah. pretty interesting. I, I didn't even know that, and I was looking at that page. Um, but what what's impressive is uh, the fact that, uh, so yeah, he had seven points in seven games, um, and five of those were goals, um, and I, I don't know, I, I think he stood out to me when I was watching all those games um, in the World Juniors, because it was like, you know, because, you know, I was looking, you know, obviously I was watching because of Zegers and Turcotte and Caulfield and all those guys, but... But like then there was like moments when like would score all these goals and you know he was on the bottom pair and it's like you know it was it just showed to how much depth there was for Team USA Um, and you know it it makes you wonder it's like yeah he's probably um, it, it makes you wonder what he would be able to be capable of if he does get into a top six role somewhere and. Now that Arizona basically just got rid of every, every player um, in, and, like, the future is uncertain for them in terms of, like, who has a permanent role there, um, especially in the forward group, uh, John Farinacci could fit in there, um, but I'd be curious to see how he, he turns to develop in Harvard um, and I guess he's still a few years away, but I could see it where like he leads the league in uh, in points in in the in college because it looks like he's going to go back to Harvard this year, um, and and then we'll 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 see from there, and, and maybe he'll like he'll be one of the better players, and all of a sudden like um, Arizona, yeah, they they have a lot of picks in this draft, but. Um, if John Farinacci turns out to be a legitimate player and could be in their top six, he, he might be a, a nice piece for them, um, in the future in, in a couple years. So, um, I really liked, um, what I've been seeing of John Farinacci when I, when I've seen him play.
0: Yeah. And maybe the fact that he's only six foot 185 pounds might explain why he was a third round pick, but, um, You look at uh, the qualities he possesses, and the goal scoring, of course, sticks out uh, to my mind. Um, According to future considerations back in 2019, they illustrate uh, his shot as Farinacci's best asset, a quick release, a guy that uh, can get good wood on his shot, so to speak. And uh, HockeyProspect.com that same year also um, talked about his smart two-way game, his smart two-way approach. where he can find a way to impact the game even if he's left off the score sheet. And that's the one thing, for whatever reason, that kind of irks me a little bit about goal scorers is the type that if they're not scoring goals, they're not really engaged, and it becomes a game of, okay, what are they doing on the ice? Like, how are they impacting the game in a positive way for the team? You're always looking for that guy that's going to be moving his feet even if he doesn't have the puck, even if uh he's snake bitten and he's not scoring goals he's out there doing something and that is a sign of a very good player and i think it's important to have that type of goal scoring as well uh, if you're a coyotes fan you can't just have a pure goal scorer you need to have an opportunistic goal scorer that can uh, create offense or create turnovers create something positive uh, for your team so that's something that sticks out to me about farinacci and something that i'll be watching uh, moving forward and if if you're wondering uh, about the first year at harvard his 10 goals in 31 games um let's see again calculator time 10 divided by 31
1: isn't that one third
0: 82 uh that's 26 goals in an NHL season if well, he produces at that rate. That's, oh, that's not too bad. 25 to 30 goals, that's a good range.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I, thought, I thought you had trouble figuring out what one-third is. do <laughs> <It's> like <laughs> <laughs> no, don't be ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but I, I will also say, because I do remember, because uh, he was drafted in 2019, and I do remember... Because I, you know, I do the draft prep for my my fantasy teams, and I he was on my radar, but I think another reason why he fell so to the third round was because he was playing in high school um, at the time. He yeah. Played. So, um, and um, so I'm looking here, and it, very impressive. So he had 33 points in 16 games in high school for Dexter Southfield, which is actually just outside of Boston. Um, and then the year before that, he had 53 points in 27 games, which is even more impressive. And he had 26 goals um, as a junior in high school. Um, and I guess he also played in the USHL for a time. He also was on that under-18 team. Um, but he only played in two games, um, which I guess that was that team that was loaded um, with Zegras and Cal- Caulfield and all those guys. Um, so I also
0: I also get the feeling that, like... Drafting someone straight out of the USHL, there's kind of like an asterisk where it's just like, be careful how you're evaluating these numbers, you know?
1: And to be fair to the, uh, it didn't seem like he he only played like four games in the USHL and uh, two of them were on the USNDP junior team. Um, But then when he was in the Muskegon Lumberjacks, he had two games, he had three points in two games there, so. Um, so yeah so that's the interesting part about him um, so yeah we'll we'll see um, how he goes but it, it does seem like he's an interesting uh, person to watch out for um, that you may never have heard of before um, all right now we go to my Boston Bruins um so we talked a, a lot about them last week um, so I don't want to like I want to spare people again on my rant again so. Um, we'll try not to mention that. Um, they added uh, Linus Allmark. Uh, they added Nick Felino, Eric Holla, Derek Forbert, and Tomas Nozick. Um, and I, I don't think i Yeah, that, I think that's... Um, I don't have anything else of note there. I do like the Tomas Nozick. I didn't really get to talk about that too much last week. But I did like his depth moves um, just there because so I remember when he was on Vegas a bit it seemed like you know every now and then he was like a, he's, he's definitely a grinder um, and I was also thinking the same with Eric Hollow where it, it seems like you know I remember that like Vegas' first year um, when Eric Hollow was like in the top six for them um, it seemed like he always had like he always scored goals um, when they needed it um, especially during the the that playoffs, so um, so that could be helpful and would help fill the role of David Krejci. Um, and I'm mm-hmm. gonna stop now before I start crying again. Um, <laughs> uh, Jeremy Lazan goes to Seattle. Um, not too bad of a loss, but um, but yeah, we'll see. Uh, David Krejci, I already talked about. Uh, he's going to the Czech League. Um, apparently Sweeney had said that, uh, Krejci, like, they still have hope that they can resign sign after this season, because he only signed with this Czech team for one year, um, and their season ends in, like, March, but I think what gets kind of confusing is the fact that, like, he would have to clear waivers, and I feel like a team would have to do that. However... He could do what Jason Spezza did last year and just said that, like, if um, if any team besides Toronto claims me, I'm not going to report there. So I guess he could he could do that where he's just saying like, I'm I'm just not going to report if you, if you claim me. But but maybe a team does this just to screw with the Bruins. So that's also possible. But maybe there's some loophole that they can figure out and, and get David Critchie back. Um, but we'll see. I'm, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm, uh, I'm not losing hope, but I am definitely, um, <laughs> losing confidence every, every day. Um, <laughs> Nick Richie. I, I,
0: I, I right. feel like we also didn't mention, but uh, Kevin Miller retired.
1: Oh so yeah. Kevin, that's a good one too. Yeah. I, I forgot to mention that. That's a good note of note person to mention. Um, yeah, he was a he was a tough uh, he was a good guy. Um, I, I, de- I definitely had my critiques on him, but um, just from a defensive standpoint. But it was no question that that guy was a wor- warrior because it like even like this year when it was clear that you know he was he took the year off the previous year um, he had like knee stuff and then like just even the fact that he was able to play again. He um, wasn't the same Kevin Miller, but, like, even the fact that he was able to play again is just pretty remarkable, and uh, kudos to him. But, uh, yeah, I guess he retired um, as well. Um, Nick Ritchie and Andre Cache, um they were supposed to be RFAs, but uh, the, Sweeney didn't qualify them, um, and I guess we know why now, because they ended up getting those five players. But, um but yeah, this is this was an interesting. Uh, we didn't really talk about them too much, um, in terms of uh, like their loss to the team. Um, I I think that like I'll start with Nick Ritchie. I think he um, I I was pretty much a big critic of him, and I did not love the Nick Ritchie for Danton Heinen trade. Um, and it turns out it was, it ended up being a wash where both of those guys just didn't turn out to be who we thought they were. Um, and then, um, and then I kind of like, you know, I turned, he had that like one penalty that was very costly against the, in the bubble playoffs against the Tampa Bay Lightning. One of those games, and I got really annoyed by him. But then, like you know, this year um, he actually wasn't too bad. Um, he uh, like, in, in fact, he he also like scored goals when the uh, the other like the top guys were struggling, and um, and he was also like a big help. Um, I think he was on the power play um, to start the year, but I can also see why they didn't qualify him or you know didn't even. Uh, you know, left him exposed for the Seattle draft. Um he didn't really uh do anything in the second half of the year. But um but even still like he had a pretty good um he he, he had a decent uh point total. He had twenty six points in fifty six games for them, uh this year, so or you know, this past year. So that's that's not too bad for him, but like most of those points were in the first half of the year. So that's, that's definitely something that Toronto will have to watch out for. I guess it's not a huge deal if you're like, I, I would assume Toronto is going to use him more as a depth guy um, and stuff like that. But, um, but yeah, it, it's, it's pretty decent and, and it, will be, it will add to the rivalry if all of a sudden he's like one of their better players. Um, but um but yeah, and I, I think what's also interesting with Nick Ritchie is that like he has the size of a power forward, but he doesn't hit that often and he doesn't like he doesn't really intimidate that often either. Um, like he should be a power forward, but he's not used that way. Um, and so that's the interesting part about him. Um, Andre Casha, I'm a little bit more sad about because I thought um, he would be a pretty good player. but again, I can also understand why. The Bruins decided to not qualify him, Um, but uh, he ends up signing with the Maple Leafs uh, for like one year and one million or something, so that's not too bad. Um, He only played three games um, last year for the Bruins and then six games for the Bruins the year before that, Um, and then I guess in the playoffs he did have four assists, but um, he did play in 11 games in in the bubble. Um, and it's just, that's, yeah,
0: that's the thing that makes me sad about Kashi yeah. is for reasons beyond his control, yep. he didn't, he didn't really get a chance to do much of anything in Boston. Yep. And that's, that's not really his fault. Like no. concussions are concussions, you
1: know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think that's the reason why I'm more upset about it. It's not necessarily that like, we're going like, like, you know, we manage without him. Um, we, you know, we ended up making the playoffs without him and all that stuff. And he never really got going. But the, just the fact that he was injured, there was always that hope that, like, okay, so once he's healthy, then he'll be, like, you know, he'll be a top six player or even in, like, a third line role. That wouldn't be too bad either. Um, so, I'm pretty
0: sure there was a game where, like, he came back from injury and couldn't finish the game. He got yeah.
1: hurt. Yeah. So yeah. Exactly. His first game back, he uh, he couldn't he couldn't go because it was just like he his conditioning was off. Um, so yeah. so yeah. I mean, it, it, it is weird that he's going to be on Toronto, but I do I am still gonna root for him. Um, so it's it's like to the point where like now yeah, I think Toronto still has Joe Thornton, but if if the Toronto Maple Leafs somehow win the cup, I'm gonna root for. Joe Thornton, and Andre Kosche only. Um, I will, I'll be happy for those two. Those are the only two players I'm going to be happy for. And I guess Nick Ritchie except, just some
0: Except if the Bruins uh, are in the way of the Leafs, then.
1: Right, right, of course, of course. But I'm saying that, like, if, if the Maple Leafs do beat the Bruins in the playoffs, and then if the Leafs go to play in the Stanley Cup Finals and they play a team I don't care about, then I'll probably yeah. root for the Leafs because of mm. Joe Thornton and André Cauché. Um, I think so. But, um, anyways. Uh, so those are departures... Oh, uh, also, departures we didn't really talk about. Dan Vladar goes to Calgary. I guess that makes sense, because if you have... If you bring in Linus Olmark, um and then you have Jeremy Swingman, who's been better than Vladar has been, and then, you know, maybe Tuca Rass comes back, then it's like, okay, so... Uh, Dan Vladar should probably go somewhere else. He.
0: What what if it a twist of fate? Dan is the next to Rask, and Jeremy oh, is the next Justin pogie
1: oh, That'd be funny, but yeah, not for me. But yeah, that that would be <laughs> that'd be interesting. He goes to well, Calgary. he to
0: feel the pain of the Leafs just like they did. Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, I I'm a little bit upset with this, but I I guess it's 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 like you know it's tough to really. Um, be sad considering that I think I would, ra- I mean, obviously I would rather have Jeremy Swayman than Vladar. I was thought there would, yeah, there would be a potential of like a Vladar Swayman tandem or something like that. But, um, cause I, I think that would be kind of cool, but just like two young guys, but I can also understand why they didn't do that. Um, he did in the five games that he played for the Boston Bruins, he had a three forty GAA and an eight, eight, six, uh, save percentage in those five games. Of course, um, those were only five games, so it's small sample size. And funnily enough, even though those were pretty bad numbers, he went two, two, and one. So it's like, not bad record for that. Um, and then when you talk about him in Providence, um, the AHL team, um, he had a 923 save percentage and a 2.19 GAA in 10 games, and he went three, four, and four. So a little bit better there. Um, he might have a so, decent chance. So basically,
0: Hallebrook in his earlier years with the Jets, yep. one season he got all the wins, but the other numbers didn't look great, and the exact opposite the next year.
1: Yep. So, um, and, and yeah, he, he looked pretty good last year for Providence as well. He had like a 179 uh, GAA and a 936 save percentage with a 14-7-1 record last year. Um. Before COVID cut it short in 25 games, so so that's that's like a that like he has the potential to be the guy in Calgary. Um, I wouldn't be surprised, but it might not happen because they also have uh, Jacob Marstrom and then uh, Dustin Wolf down the line. So so we'll see. Um, and then well, lastly,
0: the one, the one thing that I know, noticed about Olmark is they also gave him uh, the no trade, and uh, no move uh, attachments. Um, I think they also did the same with Taylor Hall and, um, I, I don't want to make the Derek Forkberg worse, but they also gave him a no trade clause, Yeah, I know. which, uh, I, I know you wanted some grit after Kevin Miller left and, uh, after Jared Sonorty left, but good God, yep. um, that, that looks even more of an overpay now yep. that the no trades into effect. And obviously it's not the full-blown, like, 10-team trade or, like, 15-team no-trade. I think it's only 10 or 5 or whatever. But it's still, you're giving it the power to reject some sort of deal. That's, right. That's a little bit dicey for a bottom-pairing guy like that, you
1: know. Yep. Uh, speaking of bottom-pairing, uh, Sean Corrales is also gone. He's going to Columbus. Um, I, I just remember him. Uh, I, you, you may remember him, uh, Steve, because... Uh, uh, he first flew on the scene um, when he was uh, during that playoff game against the Ottawa Senators, um, and he was, like, the best player for, for the Bruins. Um, and, and when he's your best player for the Bruins, it's, it's, it's probably not good. So the Sens, the Sens ended up beating the Bruins that year. But, um, but I do remember specifically that he would always pick it up in the playoffs because he was, like, their best player. But he mostly played on the the bottom line, uh, the fourth line, um, and he was pretty good at it. Um, he he was he's it's not like he's one of those players that the stats don't show how good he actually is, because uh, it's hard to quantify like how good a defensive guy is or how good his defensive numbers are. But um, he doesn't put it up on the score sheet. But like, however. Um, He did have nine points uh, last year in 47 games, and then the year before that, 23 points in 69 games. That's not bad for a fourth liner. Um, But but yeah, so I, I would imagine he'll have a similar role in Columbus. Maybe he'll be in the third line or something, we'll see, but... Yeah, yeah, he, I, I
0: think Nick Fellino is probably going to be that type of guy yep. that, not to call Nick Fellino a fourth liner or a third liner, <laughs> I but saying. I think at this stage in his career, his yep. best offensive years are behind him, but he still provides a lot of leadership and yep. a lot of the things that you don't often see on the score sheets. So I, I think most of that void is going to be filled by Fellino and also Trent Frederick because he's a monster and uh, isn't afraid of anybody.
1: Yep. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, also, uh, I mean, in a weird way, it was like, it's a Nick Felino for Sean Corrali trade, even though, <laughs> even though they're yeah. both free agents and Nick Felino had a stint in Toronto. So um, I also we'll feel
0: that Eric Holla could play like some of the physical brand. Cause I know in Minnesota before yeah. he went to Vegas and became like a top six forward overnight. Yep. Um, there was a little bit of a physical element in his game. So I can see the Bruins, um, Basically making him like a Swiss Army Knife type of player where he can add some secondary scoring punch. Maybe there's top six upside too, but if you need him to crash and bang uh, some bodies and, and whatnot and get physical, yep. um, I think Hall is capable of doing that as well.
1: Yep. Um, in terms of re-signings, Taylor Hall is uh, making $6 million for four more years. Uh, we talked about that last uh, week. Mike Riley also is uh, 3 by 3 um, those were the two resignings. Those were two guys that we got on, or Boston got on the uh, trade deadline. So we'll see about that. Um, other news that we didn't like that just happened this week um, that I feel like I should mention. Uh, according to Bruce Cassidy, Charlie Coyle is going to start as the second line center to replace David Krejci. Um, it should be noted that he said to start. So that means that he's not going to be like the permanent guy, and we'll see how it goes. But he he says that Coil is the obvious choice. Um, so so that I guess that just so you're shows saying
0: yeah. not trading for Jack Eichel. Basically. No,
1: no, basically. Um, <laughs> but it it was interesting that he said it, it's the obvious choice, and I guess that's kind of what you have to say because this guy has a no movement clause. He's been on the team yeah. for a while, so it, it, you know he's been the third line center for forever and all that stuff. But um, but at the same time, when you look at what he was able to do last year in 16 points and 51 games, it's like, all right, that doesn't really spark too much. It's underwhelming. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't spark too much um, excitement for me. But we'll see. And I, I guess it's like it's probably the right thing to do as well. It's like if you do give the the reins to Jackson Niska on a second line center, it's like then like. He didn't, re- yeah, like Jackson Micah has even worse stats. So um, so I, I can understand his, his thinking on just putting Coyle up here. Um, and then you have, um, I also see, that you know, AS Coyle did um, in the previous year, he had 37 points in 70 games. So it's definitely possible, we'll see. But I'm kind of hoping that Jackson Micah takes over from ch- the Charlie Coyle stuff in a little like maybe halfway throughout the year but we'll see I think that's just more my own hope than anything but of course if Charlie Coyle's the guy then I'm happy with that too
0: yeah Um, it's it's kind of tough for like coaches to like figure out the best way to like motivate guys like obviously the most preferred choice is positive feedback but as an athlete I kind of worry about just saying, yeah, this guy's our guy going into training camp before the right. like, training camp has even started, because, because then you kind of fear that the hockey player is just like, okay, this is oh, my role, I else. don't have to worry or whatever, and then maybe you get too like complacent or whatever, and you're, yeah. you're maybe maybe you don't have that extra chip on your shoulder that you need to really like take things to the next level. Charlie Coyle, in order to be the second-line center with Krejci gone has to take things to the next level. In in that scenario, I'm almost wondering if an open competition is better, where it's like we don't have a clear-cut idea who the number two center is. Whoever plays the best is going to get the most opportunities to do that, and we'll go from there. Yeah, Uh, I almost wonder if Cassidy should have gone that route, but obviously trusts trust charlie Coyle and is confident that he can fill the job otherwise he wouldn't go out and say that.
1: right right I, yeah i can i can see what you mean i i think there's a there's like one component of like maybe making it more of a competitive thing but that doesn't strike me as cassidy's style or anything like yeah. that and also like the fact that coyle has been on the team for two years now um And, like, maybe he has heard that, like, oh, Jack Sonica's is in the system. He, like, you know, people were talking about maybe Sonica being the second line center. and Or maybe he was thinking, like, oh, Eric Hall, they bring in Eric Hall, they bring in uh Nick Foligno, who also plays some center. So it's, like, Thomas Nosek also plays some center. So maybe he was thinking, like, maybe, you know, Coyle just needs some encouragement to be, like, okay, I'm yeah. going to be the guy to replace David Krejci. Um, and I so. think
0: Foligno's leadership—that's where it could also yeah. play a, a key role too, right. because he's been in playoff grinds before. He's been yeah. through the ups and downs. He's been traded before as well. He's—he's—he's he's, um, he's handled the pressures in unique markets, and um, I think that kind of experience is invaluable. And hey, he, he, who knows? Maybe <laughs> the acquisition of Nick Foligno yep. leads to the emergence of Charlie Coyle as the number two center. Wouldn't that be funny?
1: Yeah, that's that's possible. Um yeah, we'll see. Um in terms of their cat-friendly stuff, I, you know, whenever I see like the Darnell Nurse contract that happened this week, I'm like
0: every every
1: time a defenseman, I like
0: that was coming up. Yeah,
1: yeah, Darnell Nurse and now like Adam Fox I think has a, a contract extension. Oh yeah, he's going to
0: be
1: so, a fun one too. Yeah. So now it's like so now I'm like just paranoid about Charlie McAvoy when it happens. Minimum 8 yeah.
0: million, do you think?
1: Uh probably nine million, nine point five, yeah, around there. Um,
0: at minimum?
1: So the thing is is that for whatever reason Don Sweeney is able to like get these these players to buy into the system and get them under a contract, like what he was able to do for Taylor Hall um and Pasternak a couple of years ago. But um, but I feel like McAvoy may just be like, you know, those guys were forwards. <laughs> and, and like, Charlie Coyle, Charlie McAvoy is, like, aware that, like, you know, he's on the ice for, like, almost the entire games, pretty much. So he knows how much he's needed
0: there. Um, yeah, so, like, three defensemen, yeah. three of the biggest big-name defensemen, yep. and Charlie Coyle got Norris votes. Three of the biggest defensemen, like, top 20, top 30 in the league. Yep. Just saw maintain new contracts at at least nine million per year. Right. So the argument for Charlie McAvoy is just like, tell me why I'm not worth that. Right. Right. Right.
1: So, so I, I I think there is, and so like, and he knows that like he's their best defenseman on the team. Mm-hmm. Like I like I'm I'm sure like if you talk to Brandon Carlo and Matt Grizzly, they would also agree with that too. So. Um, so it's, it's not really an insult because I think it's pretty well established on that. So I, I, I think he'll get a raise. But I, I think there's also the other element of like, well, maybe like, you know, if, if uh, the Don Sweeney's willing to give him nine million or something like that. Um, and also it's apparent that Patrice Bergeron is about to, is in negotiations with uh, Don Sweeney. To uh, extend his contract, so, so maybe pretty soon we won't. Um, I won't have to worry about him retiring next year either. So we'll see. Um,
0: yeah, this this is why the contract yep. with uh, Derek Forberg could pose as a liability to Boston, just because they might need that money yep. to keep McAvoy around. And because and, and also, yep. you also have Bergeron, and then the year after that, you got David Pasternak, yep. who's probably going to get a lot more than what he's getting
1: for sure. So. So you have that to so, think about. Yeah. Alright, um, in terms of prospects, uh, we have Fabian Lysel, apparently I found out that I was mispronouncing his last name. It's Lysel, or Lysel, Lysel, okay. Lysel, not Lysel. Um,
0: okay. Either way, his first name's Fabian, correct? His
1: first name is Fabian, yes, yes, but his last name's no, Lysel. No. I'm definitely going to mess that up, but um, but I, I do want to mention that that's actually how you pronounce his name.
0: If he lives up to yeah. the hype, you'll never forget it.
1: Exactly, exactly. The thing that's interesting about Lysel um, is when you look at his stats, they aren't really that impressive, but I, I think we've talked about this before, uh, the Swedish Hockey League is is a bunch of, it's like a professional hockey league. And, yeah, it's a
0: men's league. Yeah,
1: yeah so... So, like, um, he only put up three points in 26 games for them, um, for Luella HF um, in uh, in 26 games, um, and two of those were goals. But, um, but, like, you know, when you see all these highlights, they're like, oh, it, it, it's clear that he has this, like, creative, out-of-the-box kind of, feeling towards them, and, and maybe that was a, a big reason why he also fell um, down the drafts. There's also, like, a, and oh, I remember what it was. Um, apparently, he he wasn't getting a ton of ice time um, in Llewellia, and he uh, requested a trade, um, and that kind of turned some NHL teams off because, you know, you should be able to, like, make your opportunity, and they don't love when players like, request a trade. However, when you look at, like, what he was able to do in the World Juniors, he had um, nine points in seven games um, in the World Juniors for Team Sweden. So that's... Um, and three of those were goals. So it's like, he is known more for our goal scoring, but he can also put up some assists as well. Um, he also played for the J20 Lunda team, where he, ha- he ended up doing a lot better than uh, what he was able to do in the SHL, where he had uh, 13 points in 11 games. Um, I guess he's going to go back to the SHL this year. Um, but um, I think it's noteworthy that I and I'm including him here because um, other than Jack um who we talked about last week, um, Bruins don't really have like a vast uh, farm system compared to all these other teams that we're about to get into. Um, and that's like, I, I, think that's by design. Cause like they traded their pick last year. Um, you know, they, they usually pick, you know, that's just what happens when you're, you're a really good team for the last couple of years. So, so I, I think that's a big reason why their farm system is going. However, like I was mentioning, like you know, you lose David Krejci last year, you lose uh, Chara and Krug the years before that. Sure, Charlie McAvoy is pretty young, Pasternak's pretty young, but like Patrice Bergeron and Marchand still have some years left. But they're also like 33 and 36 years old. Taylor Hall's 29 years old. So pretty soon you're gonna have to start like filling up your your farm tank. Whatever that that is, um, and and just get a bunch of prospects because pretty soon the Bruins are going to be rebuilding because like you know Bergeron and Marchand aren't going to be as good as they are right now, um, so so that's just something to think about for sure. Um, of course, they still have the guys like Jake DeBrusk and Trent Frederick, but anyways, I I, I think I if if life is as good as they, um, you know, all these experts are saying he is, um, then yeah, it, it seems like he, he could be fit for a David Pasternak type thing where he all of a sudden, like, he plays really well in the AHL, um, and he's just ready, and all these like personality issues that he had, and all these uh different things that he has, is. Um, is not uh, a big deal anymore because you have guys like Patrice Bergeron, you have guys um, like Brad Marchand, you have guys like uh, Chris Wagner or Charlie Coyle. You know, you have like some veterans in your lineup who can help steer him if he does end up having these personality issues, like they say they do. So, so we'll we'll see how it goes uh, from from that standpoint. But I I am excited about this. Person, even though like the stats don't really show what he's capable of just yet.
0: So taking a look at the draft guide from Elite Prospects, and again, there's going to be a lot of eyes focused on the 2021 draft, particularly what the players do over the next couple of years, because this is going to be a tough draft to evaluate because of all of the COVID factors and limited sample sizes, yada yada yada. Um, But according to the draft guide by Elite Prospects, uh, they. Really talked about how good his skating form is. Uh, Studying, it's pretty well perfect, spot on. There's great posture there, Um, and this allows him um, straight line the ability to gain like a straight line type of speed and a two step quickness that can just burn opponents. Um, He can spot teammates through layers as well. Um, When the time is right, he can get them the puck uh, with ease. Um, He scans the ice regularly. He can uh, reload to support his defense partners Uh, through the neutral zone. He tracks uh, the play well and uh, pretty good uh, work rate, good work ethic too, even though uh, the trade rumor that you mentioned there, Brett, uh, that's a big knock. But for the most part, uh, the work ethic is there. He can play at a high pace, a high level skill, um, and an amazing release, which is Immediately, even before he said Pasternak, I was looking at that and I'm thinking, oh, so yep. I'm looking at this and this kind of gives me Pasternak vibes. The thing with Pasternak is, yes, he can score goals, but his release is just so lethal and so clean. And he can just score goals in a variety of ways. He can make a couple moves um, or he can just straight up shoot the puck with lethal accuracy. Um, so when you add a guy of... Lysol's caliber, not even twenty years of age, um, potentially having a two-headed monster of Pasternak in his prime and Lysol in his early uh, in Lysel in his early years. Um,
1: that could be huge for the Bruins' offense
0: as uh, the core guys uh, like
1: Bergeron and Marshawn start yep. to age a little bit. Yeah, I I think as I was mentioning before, it's like he could be a good piece as the Bruins start to rebuild after like, you know, Bergeron and Marchand aren't as good as they used to be, so we'll see. Um, I I keep on seeing the comparables to, I actually hate comparables, but I did see, (laughs) I I do get excited by them somewhat, though. Um, I did see that Liesel has um, a comparable of Nikolai Ehlers, and then I have another one that I have, the Hockey News says that he's comparable, best case scenario is he's a Brock Besser type, so I, I wouldn't well, complain if that's yeah. if that if that
0: happens. Either either Ehlers or Besser, I mean that's still yep. pretty darn
1: good. For sure, for sure. Um, so yeah, they don't they don't really make the comparables to David Pasternak, but I, um, but uh, yeah, if if he's Ehlers or Besser, I'm I'm okay with that as well. Um, all right, and our wild card pick is actually one that I kind of uh, trashed when when it happened, um, but. But now that he actually played a little bit, it kind of shows that, okay, maybe Don Sweeney actually knows something that I don't. Um, He was drafted Mason Leroy. He was an overager. I think that was the reason why um, he even fell to the second round last year. Um, But, uh, yeah, he was the 2020 pick um, in round two for the Boston Bruins. Um, It was like I still feel like they probably could have gotten him in like the third round or whatever, but um, but it did seem to work out for them. Uh, He is a defenseman, um, and uh, he played for the Green Bay Gamblers this year um, in the USHL, um, where he had a. He's a defenseman, so he he had fifty nine points in forty eight games. That's that's pretty crazy. Um, and that puts him. Actually, I was looking at this the other day. That puts him as the, the highest point total for the the best defenseman in terms of points in the USHL. Like all the other it also
0: puts him. Uh, also yeah. puts him sixth in league scoring. Sixth in
1: the league, the yeah, and and most um, by defenseman. I'm trying to find the next defenseman on this list, I can't even find him. Um, um
0: let's see. I actually, have Cole McWard. The USHL
1: Cole McWard, he was 60th. He had 33 points, so that's uh, 59. That's about 29 points more (laughs) um, in uh, in, uh, just in that league. Um, So, so it's it's, I never really am able to tell about like what overagers are capable of, um, you know, because it's hard to really. Do it because, of course, he's going to be pretty good because he is one of the oldest players in the USHL. Um, So, I will be curious to see what he's able to do next year um, at Ohio State, which is where he's going to play in the NCAA. Um, What's interesting about Ohio State is like they're not really known for their college hockey. I mean, obviously, they're known for like football and stuff and, and basketball in some ways, but. Not really for the college football uh, for their college hockey stuff. Um, the Big Ten is usually just uh, either Michigan and Wisconsin. So it's interesting that he's going to Ohio State, and I'm curious to see how he does there. Um, I I I'm still like so I'm like I kind of just like I did for Nick Ritchie. I took a 180 turn on on Mason Rela Lou um, and it, it turns out that he might be pretty good, and I'm pretty excited about him. Um, especially when, like, you know, the Bruins do lose Tori Krug. They do lose... They did lose uh, Char, uh, Zidane O'Chara. Uh, Mason Laray is another left-handed defenseman. Um, I don't know if he'll be... Like, even if he does do well in Ohio State, I don't know if he'll be ready even next... The following year. But... But I I mean, again, like I was wrong about him before, so we'll see how it goes. Um, But I'm I'm like cautious about him, Um, and we'll we'll see how um, he does in the next level when people are going to be around his age.
0: Yeah. So a deeper dive at Mason Laurie's uh, stats here. Uh, This year, he also ranks second in the league in assists. The guy ahead of him, Sean Farrell. Led the league in scoring with uh, 29 goals, 72 assists, 101 points. So that's 42 points more than uh, Mason had this year, and yet uh, he's second uh, in the league in assists, and one of only two players, Farrell being the other one, to record at least uh, 40 um, helpers uh, this season. Uh, Taking a look at the power play uh, stats, three goals, 19 assists on the power play, so that's total of 22 points pretty good even got a short-handed goal out of it which is neat uh six game winners wow that's interesting so six of his 19 uh, goals were game winners pretty awesome for a defenseman um he only took let's see he only took how how many shots did he take only 102 okay so that brings his shooting percentage to 18.6 percent which for, for any defense, like 10% is pretty good at the NHL level. If he's able to put up something like 12 or 13, 14% uh, for a defenseman that's an awesome shooting percentage. He had 18.6 in the USHL this year. Again, take that with a grain of salt. but I still that, I, I still think that's uh, pretty impressive yeah. uh, when you consider um, the company that uh, was ahead of him like uh, Matt Coronado. We will talk about soon uh, with Calgary. Uh, he was one of the top scorers uh, this year, and he had 37 assists in 51 games. Mason Lore uh, played in three fewer games and got, uh, than uh, Coronado, and he got uh, 40 assists, which is three more assists than uh, than Coronado. So, uh, yeah, overall, I I feel like um, if you're the Bruins, you're in a pretty fortunate situation because as As we're looking at the cap space, we mentioned the uncertain future with Patrice Bergeron and, obviously, David Krejci this year. uh, And then what Pasternak could get on the open market, what McAvoy could get on the open market. This cap crunch is going to hit them harder and harder as the off-seasons go forward. And, oh, would you look at that, Brett? He shoots left. Yeah. What if the left-handed defense of the future is right in front of them? Yeah, I mean... It's going to take a couple more years before you start to see it at the NHL level. But, hey, the, the Bruins could have themselves a future left-handed defensive stud in their lineup. And I think that's going to be crucial to their success moving forward, is finding guys like uh, Mason Laurie and developing them properly.
1: Yeah, I, I think the thing that's interesting is I'm trying to be like off, like cautious about it because like, I... I was burned before with Anders Bork and and stuff like that. So I'm trying not to get too excited about it. But, yes, you're right. Like, right now, the Bruins' biggest need is a left-handed defenseman. And hopefully, Forbert um, is is decent in his role. And Mike Riley is also, you know, continues to do what he was able to do last year. But, um, yeah, I agree. If, like, worst-case scenario, like, yeah, we can... Insert this Mason Leroy guy, and then um, and then we'll we'll maybe he, is, he ends up being something. I guess it's also helpful that he is, um, you know, he is an overager, so he is older than um, most of those people in the 2020 draft are. So um, so maybe that that does come at an advantage. It's like we need someone to help us now, and that's when like a, a good thing about overagers are. So yeah, we'll see. Um,
0: by the way, I'm um, uh, not uh, one to typically give out shoutouts, outs but uh, shout-out and pay close attention to Brady Lyle. Yep. He was on my radar. Uh, undrafted by the Bruins, had a pretty decent OHL career as a defenseman. As an AHL rookie on the Providence Bruins blue line, he had 14 points in 25 games. Doesn't yep. shoot left, but he does shoot right, and again, in a cap crunch – Yep. Um, maybe he finds a roster spot and he makes the most out of it. We'll see.
1: Yeah, but, I will,
0: Yeah, keep an eye on uh, Brady Lyle as well. He I, could be a dark horse.
1: Tomorrow. I will say that when I was looking, because uh, the development camp was this week where all the, the Bruins rookies were here, so I follow a, a lot of Bruins beat writers, because of course I do. Um, and <laughs> um, a lot of them were saying that Brady Lyle was very impressive in, in that training camp. Of course, it's like training camp, who knows, but... Um, but, yeah, they all f- thought he was impressive. I also want to shout out the fact that the Bruins drafted a Brett um, in this, this year's draft, Brett Harrison. Um, it looks like he might be pretty good, too, but uh, but I, I, I can understand why uh, he was drafted in the third round. Um, but we'll, we'll see. I Maybe we'll talk about him next year. Um, all right, so now we're going to go to the... Buffalo Sabres, and like the Arizona Coyotes, uh, they made a lot of trades. Um, and very similar <laughs> trades too at that, because they traded a lot of their players that were a part of their core. They're probably gonna trade Jack Eichel, which we'll get into in a second, but um, but yeah, they traded a lot of those guys, um, and we'll see that here. So the first one uh, that, that we probably would have talked about if, if all these other stuff didn't happen Uh, Rasmus Stalinen goes to the Philadelphia Flyers. The Sabres get Robert um, Haig, the 2021 first-round pick, which turned into Isaac Rosen, and a 2023 second-round pick. Um, This one's an interesting one because he has, this was around the, this was the same day as the Seth Jones uh, pick, but this one seems to be like even like where for Seth Jones people like uh, you know, people like him based off of the eye test, and he has put up decent stats. But for Rasmus Rast- it seems like both, like, the eye test and the advanced statistics people don't like him. <laughs> so, um, which is it's just interesting, because he, like, there's definitely times when he has these defensive lapses, and we'll talk about that when, when we talk about the Flyers. But, um... But yeah, and it's like, he doesn't really score that often to even, um, to overcompensate for the defensive stuff. It's like, you know, when Eric Holson back when he was very, very good, um, you know, there was always that knock on like, oh, well, he doesn't play defense, but the fact that he was basically your fit uh, fourth forward on your line, um, more than made up for that. But like for Rasmus Salainen, it doesn't really do that, um... He does have, eight, he did have 18 points in 49 games last year, 33 points um, in 69 games, so it's not terrible, um, but, like, he also had, like, um, in 2018-2019, he had 43 points in 78 games, but he had a minus 41, which is um, pretty crazy. <laughs> so, so it's like, he's not good defensively, but, um, but yeah, I mean, obviously the Sabres were going to be rebuilding anyways, but... It is crazy that the Sabers were able to get so much out of him, uh, considering the fact that the Sabers aren't really that good. So, our, our Rasmus Ristelainen isn't really that good, or makes up for it. Um, we will talk about Ristelainen eventually later, but I did want to get that out there that it um, a pretty good trade for them.
0: <laughs> I will get. I, I will send out this little tidbit. I'm pretty sure the Flyers give up more goals than the Sabers. So, yep. Uh...
1: Yeah. <laughs> The
0: minus 41 might look worse in Philly. Hopefully yeah. not. No, no, that's... It's a, the one-off.
1: I, I wouldn't be surprised, especially since they also have Martin Jones there, too, so...
0: Yeah, well, um, that's why they have Ryan Ellis, you know. Yeah, right? of course. But kind of everything out. But, yeah, uh, yeah the, the thing with Ristolainen is, and the, I can't stress this enough, the difference with Eric Carlson. Eric Carlson had Mark with in his pairing. Yep. A very good shutdown, reliable defenseman. Where's the structure in Buffalo for Ristolainen to, I don't know, do his thing? Yep. I don't see it there's there's none and that's why they've been bad for as long as they have been and Ristolain was open to a longer stay in Buffalo he was also open to a trade um he wasn't leaning one way or the other um but he wanted to he wanted to win he wanted to be on a contender he didn't want to waste his prime years um treading water and the trade happened and that was the end of that um and I, I feel like this was a story that was dragging on for years and years. Like is similar to Ghost Despair, his name always seemed to be in the trade rumor mill. And unlike Seth Jones, at least I can trust Seth Jones on the penalty kill. And yep. I don't know if I can trust Russell Lane in that regard. Yep. So um the fact that um that the Sabres got a decent return, they got uh, Robert Haig, they got some uh, futures in that deal as well. Um that, that's that's pretty good uh, asset management by Kevin Adams. Probably the first trade that he's won so far.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, then the other one, oh, and Robert Haig, they also get back. Um, and that one's an interesting, like, you know, he was a decent, it doesn't, like, he's one of those ones where the stats don't really uh, show what he's really capable of. But uh, he had five points in 34 games. Um, and then he had 13 points in 49 games the year before that, um, so pretty low scoring. But um, who knows what he'll be able to do um, if he's given more ice time? I feel like that
0: may Yeah, it, it I, I think he's probably in a situation where you look at the Flyers and they have these guys like Travis Sien- Sanheim and Ivan Provorov, yep. and he's the good role player guy. You know, does every little thing right, but he's not the first defenseman that people yep. talk about when you talk about the Philadelphia Flyers. Uh, but Robert Haig has a job, and he does it fairly well. So uh, that's that's where he falls under the defenseman. Not always going to steal the show, but for the most part, makes the right plays when it matters.
1: Yep. Um, and then uh, almost the next day, um, actually it was the next day, uh, Sam Reinhart goes to Florida. Um, and then the Sabres get Devon Levi, um, and a 2022 conditional first round pick from Florida. That condition is if the pick is in the top 10, the pick will be exchanged with a 2023 first round pick the next year. Okay. Um, so, um, so yeah, this was, uh, this was, this is kind of funny cause like Sam Reinhardt is a better player than Rasmus Salainen, but, uh, you get a better return for Ristolainen, than you do for Sam Reinhardt. I guess there was thinking that because Sam Reinhardt was an RFA and Ristolainen still has some term left, um, that meant that Reinhardt's return was less. But like even still, like I know, like you know, the the Sabers didn't really have Jack Eichel um, uh, towards the end of the year. But like Sam Reinhardt was playing his best hockey um, <laughs> towards the last half of the year. Uh, which he's I guess by far
0: the best Buffalo forward yeah. from start to finish.
1: Yeah, exactly. He had 40 points in 54 games. Um, we'll talk about him more uh, when we talk about Florida, but um, but yeah, he. Uh, I feel like the Sabers could have gotten a lot more out of him. Um, I guess it's just because the, he's an RFA um, that they probably uh, couldn't do it. But it seems that seems like a crazy excuse at the same time because it's like Ristolainen's on a. Terrible contract, five point four for like a few more years after that. So, um, so yeah, I don't, I don't really understand how um, they they were uh, the Panthers were able to pull that off. But we'll see. Um, maybe that condition, you know, maybe the Panthers do fall off and aren't like that was just a fluke year last year. So that that's definitely possible. And it's like a Matt duchesne type situation or something. So. Maybe that's possible, but we'll see. Um, Devon Levi, if you are wondering who he is, he's a goalie. Um, he played for Team Canada um, in the World Juniors, and he was pretty impressive um, for yep. them. But then, like, he got, I think he got some COVID issues, and also the fact that, like, Florida has Spencer Knight in the system. They also have Sergei Bobrovsky for a few more years, so... Um, so they probably couldn't make room for him. But, um, but yeah, he didn't, he didn't even end up playing for Northeastern that year. Um, so so he's supposed to play for Northeastern this year, but he didn't even play at all last year in college. And the only time you saw him was those seven games where he played for Team Canada. Yeah. He did have a 964 save percentage and a .75 GAA, um, 6-1-0 um, and that one loss was Team USA. Go, go Team USA. Um, but uh, and
0: Canada didn't score any goals, so right, that's and, true. And he only gave up two, so he did his part.
1: He did do his part. Um, I would argue though that like I, you could put like me in net for Team Canada, and you probably would. I probably would have the same record. But um, yeah. but yeah, at the same time, he should be a pretty good goalie. The year before that, he had like a 941 save percentage. You know, one point four seven, um, in thirty-seven games for the CCHL, which um, which I guess is like a lower league compared to all these other ones. But it's
0: um, it's well, one we'll level see. lower than OHL hockey, ah. and I know that because I actually covered the league back in college. Oh, interesting. Uh, with the Nepean Raiders, yeah, the Carlton Place Canadians play in that league, okay. and they've been very good for a very long time. And their ability to churn out goalies with like ridiculous records like yep. Devin Levi, is part of the reason why maybe he was a 6th or 7th round pick, um, but obviously proved to be a very good 6th or 7th yep. round pick. And as we'll talk about in the Florida episode, the fact they were able to somehow turn that into Sam Reinhardt. I mean, a yeah. good asset Crazy. management by one team. And Not the so good thing for with the Sam Reinhardt is it wasn't that he, it wasn't that he didn't want to, to stay in Buffalo. I think it was more the fact that the organization really didn't love him back. Yep. Like, there were a couple of off-seasons where they could have signed him to a long-term contract. Instead, they just kicked it down the road, signed him to a one year contract, and they're just like, yeah, we'll revisit this later. Yep. And similar with the line soul soulmark stuff, it blew up in their face. And even though they still have his rights, he's just like, you know, I've... I think I'm better off getting a fresh start somewhere else. Yep. And it's unfortunate because uh, I think even if the, um, they deal away Jack Eichel, I think uh, Sam Reinhardt so it could have been a good fit on the Sabres team moving forward. But um, instead, he's going to be thriving in Florida um, on the second line with Barkov on the first. So, yep. um, obviously, a, a big change of scenery for him. Now uh, going to a division rival, of course, uh, with the Panthers. Um, but yeah, I I think even with the conditional first and, and Devin Levi uh, probably could have gotten a bit more for Reinhardt, but um, I, I guess it all depends on how the situation with Florida goes if he signs there long-term, because he still hasn't done that at the time of this reporting. Right. Uh, whereas a lot of the other RFAs uh, on Florida's uh, radar, they've already been signed. Even Carter Verhage, who was supposed to be a UFA, I think, after next year, he got a new contract as well that we'll talk about later on uh, in the prospect series so uh, or in the, the offseason series. So um, I think the Sam Reinhardt contract negotiations are going to ultimately play a role in how people see this trade a couple of years down the road. Right. I think overall it's fine, but maybe they could have done a bit better.
1: Yeah, we'll see. Um... Will Butcher, I guess this is a bit underrated of a trade, He he's going to Buffalo for future considerations, uh, Buffalo...
0: Basically, New Jersey needed room for Dougie yep. Hamilton's cap hit, so they sent Butcher off, and Butcher's right. a free 8 at the end of this year anyway, so...
1: yeah. Yeah, it wasn't too surprising that they let him go, especially also because the Devils got Ryan Graves this offseason, too. So yep. um, so Will Butcher. Uh, but, like, I, I don't know. I like Will Butcher. I feel like he could help uh, the Sabres out um, in this new team. It doesn't seem like Jack Eichel is going to be there. So we'll see what the return is on that stand front. But uh, this new team, it, like Will Butcher could, could be a, a decent piece for them. Um, yeah, uh, and as, yeah,
0: and as Don Granado showed, he's been able to get the most out of his players yep. in a short period of time, so maybe he can do the same for Will Butcher, and maybe they hang on to him beyond yep. this one year, who knows. Um, but I think for the most part, he'll be a secondary power play guy. Uh, obviously, Dowling can't do everything, right. and they need someone to lighten the low with Ristolainen gone, so that's probably where Butcher slots
1: in as a secondary guy. Yeah, perhaps. that's totally fair. Um, so he counts as an addition. I talked about D-Von Levi, Robert Haig, Aaron Dell signs with Buffalo and Craig Anderson. Uh, two guys that you forgot were in the league, uh, but they are both signed for one year, seven hundred and fifty K. Um, so yeah, there's that, uh, Vinnie also signs with Buffalo. Um, he's a one year, Uh, 1.050, uh, million for him there so that that's definitely um an interesting trade there um and then uh turns of departures we have will Borgan is the seattle pick um i don't think buffalo is going to miss him too much um sam Reinhart we talked about rasmus Line we talked about linus allmark we talked about as well uh carter hudden uh is going to arizona which we also talked about um so so yeah, that's that's the pretty much the list. The one, that...
0: the one void that I think is really going to hurt, and again, this is where asset management kind of hurt. And similar to Allmark, um, injuries didn't help. Jake yep. McCabe to the Hawks. Oh, right, I thought he was the most underrated defenseman on the Sabers, and uh, one of those heart and soul glue guys that really makes a yep. difference when he's on the ice, and when he's been injured, the team really really feels it. Yep. Uh, so, yeah, uh, I think losing Jake McCabe that was a tough one.
1: I feel like at this point, though, like, they're not trying to win, though. So it's like, <laughs> I don't, I don't <laughs> Like, I feel like it's just, like, yeah. opposite day for both Buffalo and Arizona. So it's like, all right, well, uh, whatever. Um, in terms of resignings, there there aren't any of no but
0: Drake, Drake Kujula is probably the most notable. Maybe Rasmus Asplund, considering his second half. But other than that, they've done
1: nothing. Yeah. But uh, I will say that Casey Middlestad's an RFA, Rasmus Dahlin's an RFA, and Henry yep. Yokiaru are, are all RFAs. So those guys will probably get some deals. It's interesting, I did like the Casey Middlestad resurgence. We did talk about this um, in our prospect preview <laughs> last time. But it seems like he picked it up um, when uh, T- T- Ted Granado started to put in. It was kind of Don Granato um, started to be the coach there. So it's like it seemed like he was able to... Uh, be a, like what he was, uh, fit to be or what we were hope- expecting him to be, um, during that time. So it's like, so it was, it was an interesting move there. Um, it does make you wonder. It's like, okay, well, if we put in Don Granado in, um, like you know, started him at the season and you have Casey Middlestad there, does Jack Eichel want to leave? Does Sam Reinhardt want to leave? Does uh, Rasmus Ristolainen? definitely want to stay, you know, so, um, that definitely puts things into perspective. Linus Allmark, uh, also want to stay. So it's like, um, so that's the interesting part too, but it's, uh, so, so yeah, it, it does seem, it does make you wonder like what, what are the Sabres going to do now? Um, but like, you know, it does seem like Casey said was the real deal. He may never be as like the 70 point or 80 point guy that we were expecting him to be, but, um, but it does seem like he's going to be a, a decent player for them. And Rasmus Dahlin, as we just talked about, he sh- he'll probably get a pretty fair deal for them. What's interesting too is, like the Arizona Coyotes, um, they have a lot of UFAs next year. Uh, they have one, two, three, four. Uh, they have ten UFAs and three RFAs. Uh, ten of those two of those UFAs are their goalies. So so yeah, maybe. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what they do with with this rebuild. Um, I mean, you know, unfortunately for all these Sabres fans, they've been on a rebuild for the last ten years, so um, I'm sure that's that's probably not what they're expecting. But we'll see. <laughs> I, I I love
0: yep. Craig Anderson, and I he, I remember him saying something along those lines of he really wants the 300 career wins. Yep. I hate that he has to go to hockey hell part two (laughs) in order to get those 300 wins. I mean, you'll get plenty of chances to. Right. Even at 40 years of age, because I don't know how much better Aaron Dell is than a 40 year old Greg Anderson. Um, And and just looking at the cash situation, you're right, there's not much term attached to that outside of Jeff Skinner and whatever that contract is morphed into. Uh, their defense is super short-term, like, out of, like, every single defenseman not named Dallin and Yoki Haru, has got one year left on their deals. And as you mentioned, Dallin and Yoki Haru have zero. So, um, by the time they sign those deals, presumably, they're going to have more term than every single member of their defense corps. That's Colin Miller, that's Will Butcher, that's Robert Hank, that's Mark Pisick, who they just signed and brought back because he was a Sabre once upon a time. Um, And then, of course, um, you know, the Fords group, um, outside of Jeff Skinner, you have Jack Eichel. Those are basically the only two players that have turned beyond the next two seasons. And Jack Eichel is probably not going to be a Sabre before, I think it's safe to say, before this new season starts. I doubt Buffalo wants to wait any longer. Um, The good news is they do have some prospects, but again, like you mentioned, just absolutely aggravating that Buffalo is bad and now it looks like there's no turning back. Like, in the, in the case of Jack Eichel, like,
1: yep, when he we're made about those to get comments, into that. But yes, when
0: he made those comments about the situation in Buffalo, and it'll link back to Jack Eichel, uh, to the rest of the team, I promise. When he said those comments, that was before Rasmus versus was trading, it was before Sam Reinhart was trading. Yep. It was when they had a chance to re-sign Jake McCabe and Linus Solmark. All four of those guys are gone. What What's there left to commit to if you're Jack
1: Eichel? No. So, unless you're living under a rock um, or just don't follow hockey, which I don't know why you'd be listening to this, but um, but <laughs> in case you aren't, uh, Eichel's agent and doctor uh, both uh, put up a tweet uh, that said, uh, that they expected Eichel to be traded at the draft. He wasn't. They were very disappointed. Um, they feel like this surgery that Jack Eichel wants to get um, under um, that the Sabers don't want him to get um, is uh, like just like furthering the pain. They want him to get this surgery done with so that Jack Eichel doesn't have to deal with this, and uh, it's coming to the point where Jack Eichel does want out. Um, there was like uh, supposedly this week, Jack Eichel created a Twitter account and he said something like he wants out and he added the um, Buffalo Sabres. It's unclear if that's actually him, but, but maybe it was. According to John Vogel, he says that, who's the athletics, uh, the Buffalo beat reporter for the Athletic. Um, so it's, it might have been him. But um, yeah, it's, uh, either way, this is getting very ugly. Um, we kind of expected so, it. So uh, we kind of, ex- to add, oh, can to I add
0: to all of the craziness on top of that? I, uh, so this is a day after we find out about the tweet yep. and so John Vogel retweets with the tweet that has been deleted by the author now, but then Jack Eichel, I think retweeted, uh, John Vogel's tweet and he says, or something to the effect of these sources are true. Um, source coming from me, Jack Eichel. Right. And this Twitter account...
1: Is verified. First
0: of all, is verified, and also, prior to that, he hadn't tweeted a thing. Yep. Which, on the other account, that was also the first tweet that it put out. Yeah. So, I, I, I'm I, not even going to try to explain it, because my brain hurts. <laughs> yeah. I haven't tried. I'm just like, well, wait, was it fake, but also, like, him? Like, right.
1: Like, well, it was funny because like what happened was I I, I emailed you as, like like yeah. when when it originally happened, and then you were telling me like this is a fake tweet clearly because it's like like he spelled it like like uh, spelled yeah, the, the his name was wrong.
0: spelled incorrectly. I think right. it was I A C K not J A C.
1: And I and I was fooled by it, and um and I was like hand up I I messed up. Um, not and, the first time either of yeah. us have done that. Exactly. Too. And, um, and, like, it also, like, yeah, like, it, it looked like he was verified, but, like, it was actually, like, a smiley face if you look closely enough. So I was like, okay, I'm, I'm an idiot. And then, the next day, I feel vindicated because then they say that, like, uh, this this whole thing about Jack Eichel, like, saying that, like, it actually was him and he actually does want out. I mean, neither, none of this is actually that surprising, even if, if this is true or not, and this was actually Eichel or not, but... Um, it was just, like, funny. It's just like, wait, he actually, like, publicly said that he wants out in this trade. Um,
0: it's funny how that duped us, and yet yeah. the Tony D'Angelo Bird account, everyone's just like, yeah, right. no, it's you, Tony.
1: Exactly, exactly, yeah. <laughs> and then, um, but, yeah, anyways, this was this was interesting, too, because, like, like, a week ago, or when this, you know, the Free Agent Day happened... Uh, We were, or the draft happened, actually, and then uh, Jack Eichel's agent and and doctor kind of put out this notes app type thing on Twitter as well, just saying that, like, we want Jack Eichel, like, you know, Jack Eichel was expecting to be traded, and if he doesn't get the surgery now, um, you know, it's going to be detrimental to his career. Um, And then this was when Buffalo fans started to uh, turn on him. Um, I I guess it makes sense. It was only a matter of time, um, but like was,
0: was that before or after he was spotted skating with the Bruins?
1: Well, uh, the training facilities that was before, uh, but okay. um, but no, it was because of this notes app thing that like I was looking at the Sabers subreddit. I I'm in some fans. Uh, I'm in some fantasy league chats, and a Saber fans was just like calling Jack Eichel a baby. Um, and it was just like you do realize that Eichel like wants this surgery, and the Sabers are the bad guy in this situation. Like, like this, like Jack Eichel would play for the Sabers if they allowed him to have this surgery. Um, and <laughs> the Sabers are the bad guy here. It's not like Jack Eichel. Yeah, I guess you can make a case that like yes, he signed this contract, and you know he owes it to his team. But at the same time, he's he. He's worried about himself. He's, like, he's not, like, you know, it, like, he doesn't want to be, like, this Eric Lindros, Paul Correa type thing where he can't, like, walk again or he can't use his yep. neck again. So so that's why he really wants a surgery. Um, If you haven't listened to this yet, but, um, and it's also only one side of the story, but Jack Eichel's doctor who does... Who is going to be doing the surgery when it, he's inevitably traded? Um, so like he actually talked about the procedure and what the Sabers want and what uh, he and Eichel want. Um, it, it, it makes a lot more sense. So what the Sabers want him to do is this fusion uh, surgery, which I guess could uh, help him or like it, it's like a safe, a recovery thing. But what. Uh, what they want is a disc replacement surgery, um, and, uh, the only thing that's very risky about this is that no, like, this would be the first NHL player to, um, have this type of surgery. However, football players, uh, uh, like, uh, I I think they were saying that, uh, Emmanuel Sanders, who plays for the, I think the Falcons now, um, I probably got that wrong, um, he has the surgery, and he was a, he's he was able to play this year. Um, there's a bunch of UFC players, a bunch of like players who have con- who play in contact sports like hockey um, have done it. Also, like players who aren't in the NHL but are in like um, other hockey leagues have also gotten the surgery. They've all been fine. Um, so it is risky, and I can understand why the Sabers are definitely hesitant on doing this at the same time this is jack eichel's body Uh, he's able to do what like he should be able to choose what surgery he wants to do if it's going to like he's understands the risk he's he should be able to do it it shouldn't be a a team control type thing um so so anyways it, it was worth a listen and you should listen to that of course it's only one side of the story. Um, and, and we'll see what this I, I can sort of understand what the Sabres are doing but it's kind of crazy and it's just a mess um, <laughs> all things considered uh, he should just um, I think the further they wait along like um, the more they wait the the worse return they're going to get it's like why would Anaheim if they're going to do this why would they like try to trade for uh, for Eichel um and get Zegers back. They're they're basically like taking a part of their future, and um, and like why would they do that when like Eichel won't be ready for maybe six weeks? So it's it's you know like the more they do this, the more they they're hurting Eichel's value, um, and and fans are going to be upset um, because like every Sabres fan wants. Like, like the top prospect for the teams, the first-round pick, you're not, sorry, Sabres fans, you're not getting that. It's, it's not happening. I know Eichel's very, very good. Um, he's going to help any team that he's going to be on, but you're not getting that. Um, there's just no way you're getting
0: that. And, and, I mean, first of all, all the Kings horses and all the Kings men might be able to put Jack Eichel together again. They can't repair the relationship with Buffalo. That yep. thing is as good as broken. It's in a million pieces, and they can, it can't be salvaged whatsoever. Now, in terms of getting the best value, Jack Eichel, I am sure, is a very smart man, and he knows if the Sabres wait too long, he can call his shot of where he wants to go, and that limits Buffalo's value. So eventually, Buffalo is going to have to make a choice. Are they going to say, we're going to wait until the last minute and we're going to get our best offer? Or are they going to say, it's good enough, let's do the deal? Right. They, they have two choices. Because I guarantee you, what they might think Jack Eichel is worth, it, it might not ever surface in any market. But it, they won't even get anything remotely close to that if they wait until the start of the 2022 draft. Because at that point, Jack Eichel's got every single ounce of leverage. They can trade him anywhere up until that point. As soon as Jack Eichel gets that no move, he can basically just say, I don't care what the return is. I want to be a Boston Bruin. He can pull the Taylor yep. Hall and literally just say, I want to go to Boston and I won't play for you guys. Right. And at that point, their hands are tied. Yep. They can't have that happen. They can't get Bjork in a second again. They need some sort of good return for Jack Eichel. They can't be shortchanged on
1: this. Yeah, I mean, I, I maybe like uh, I I think there is some sense of like you know what Joe Sakic did with Matt Duchesne, where he like I think we were all like, everyone's like, when when is Matt Duchesne going to get traded? When's Matt Duchene's going to be traded? And then all of a sudden, like the the perfect trade falls in his lap. So maybe. There is a chance that like a, a team is going to like you know give him the return that the Sabres want. But like they they at the same time, like the more this drags out, the more leverage that Jack Eichel has. So it's it's also like it's a little bit different for Matt Duchesne, uh just because um there you know, there there wasn't you know, Matt Duchesne didn't need to be, uh, like, didn't need to have the surgery, but, like, the more that, like, this news comes out with, like, like the Sabres aren't good, it's, like, imagine being Owen Power right now, which we're about to talk about, or imagine being Rasmus Dahlin, or imagine being Dylan Cousins. Imagine being any of these players on the Sabres. It's, like, this is how you treat your your top player and like, in in your organization, like it, it, it it's 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 just it's crazy. It's like why why would Owen Power want to stay long for on this team? Why would uh, Rasmus Dahlin want to stay on this team for long? If this is how they're gonna treat their players.
0: Yeah, and I and I feel like uh, the Eric Carlson situation kind of gave a bad yep. vibe in, in Ottawa. Yeah, sure that's a good point too. my sense we're not talking no, about them. I mean, I, but I, feel I, I like, do that all
1: the time for the cause, Bruins
0: because people forget about the fact that Mark Stone was still on that team when Carlson yep. got traded. So was Matt Duchesne. Both of them left and went to contenders. Yep. So that that's that's the argument but, I would I would put there. The uh, the other difference between Matt Duchesne getting traded from Colorado to Ottawa and Jack Eichel potentially getting traded out of Buffalo. That Colorado team had Landis Cog. Yep. That Colorado team just drafted Kale McCarr. That Colorado team had a young star like Miko Ranson in on the rise. And also, they have Nathan Goddang McKinnon on their team. Yep. Buffalo doesn't have any of that. Yep. They have good young players. But they don't have established NHL stars right. that they can lean on outside
1: well, of the one that they have. Well, I, I think at the time, the, the avalanche weren't like the like the avalanche we know right now. But, like, you know, right. McKinnon had his worst year by far the previous year. And uh, same with, like, Landis had some inj- uh, concussion history. So, like, we didn't really know that Colorado was going to be this juggernaut. But, yes, I, I do hear what you're saying. Also, like... Um, the Sabres have, you know, they used to have Sam Reiner. They used to have, um, mm-hmm. you know, a couple of Rasmus line lining, although I guess he's not yeah. that good, but, um, you know, they just got Owen Power in the draft. So it's like, uh, it's, uh, uh, kind of similar, but I, I, see what you mean. Um, yeah. Speaking of Owen Power, um, he, uh, that was their first overall pick and he's their top, pros- he's the Buffalo Sabres top prospect. um, they uh, he had 16 points in 26 games uh, for University of Michigan, um, and then he, when he played for the World Championships, he had three assists in 10 games. Um, I think the the thing that's going to be interesting to to him is I guess he's not so much of an offensive guy, uh, but he's more of like uh, a two way defenseman, um, and maybe he will turn into like an Aaron Ekblad where like a couple of years from now he'll develop into that offensive stuff. So there is that chance that he'll be more of an offensive guy, but it may not be uh, like his rookie year in the league or, or something like that when he does eventually get into the league. I I think there was reports that he's probably going to go back to the university of Michigan, um, which is fine because I feel like the Sabres don't necessarily need him. um, And um, it it could help with his development as well. So, um, so that's, that's a, uh, a good pick from them. Um, I guess there are other guys that they probably could have picked instead, but um, at the same time, I, I feel like Owen Power is going to be a, is probably the closest NHL ready player um, to anyone on on in twenty twenty one.
0: Yeah, and I feel like you're in a situation with Buffalo where you take the best player available because, like I said, in the draft special with Victor, they're going to have a lot of holes to fill. Yep. they already do. Uh, with all the trades that they've made, and they're probably going to have even more holes to fill uh, if and when Jack Eichel gets moved, and it's most likely when at this point, not if. Also, if this Sabres team is going to be as bad as we think they are, like you said, they could lock themselves into Shane Wright. Yep. And that way, they get a very talented defenseman and a game-changing player. Shocker! Where have we heard that before? Right. Yeah, when they drafted Jake Eichel six years ago. Right. <laughs> so, uh, I, I think with the the loaded draft, they're they're going to get some good offensive talent at forwards um, within the next year when when it's time to to draft the future of this team. And I think Buffalo would be wise to um, trade. Mo- most of their futures for draft picks like, cause right now they do have some form of uh, a future. Like they're starting to stockpile on first and second round picks. Now they're not at that type of level that Arizona's at where they have like five second round picks. Yep. And if there's ever a time to really load up on draft picks, I think 2022 class is the year to do it. Um, so it wouldn't surprise me if, um, Buffalo sells off a lot of their assets at the deadline for futures, um, just because of that.
1: Right. Um, in terms of the wild card um, prospect, I guess there was a few choices. Isaac Rosen would be a, an interesting pick, but um, I'm going. We're going to go with R2 Ruitzelainen. Um He actually played a little bit um, towards the end of the year last year, and he was pretty good for the Sabers too. Uh, six. Six points, seventeen games. Um, five of those points were uh, goals, uh, which was pretty good. Um, I, I we actually talked about him before in our prospect preview too, and he was like very impressive um, in the twenty nineteen twenty season for uh, Liga, where he played for Ives. I think that's how you pronounce his name, uh, that name. Where he had forty three points in forty four games, um, and then this year uh, he played uh, for Ives again, where he had. Tw- 27 points in 19 uh, games, which is very impressive. Um, then he goes over to the AHL, Rochester Americans, and then he plays like too good that they just call him up to the NHL. He had 13 points in 13 games, um, and then yeah, as I mentioned, he had six points in 17 games for the Buffalo Sabers. Um, he also played for the World Championships where he had uh, where he played for Finland. Um, he had five points in 10 games there. Four of those were goals. Um, so it seems like uh, Ruitzelainen is more of a center, um, or, you know, is, is going to be more of a goal scorer than a playmaker. Um, but he does play center and left wing as well. Um, he's 23 years old. Um, another thing to of note is he's 5'8". Um, but he should be, uh, like, I, I think this is, like, you know, just the fact that he's been able to, like, be well, be, be good in pretty much three of these leagues... Um, just shows that like he could be a legitimate player um, for for the Buffalo Sabers um, in due time. Um, I guess he went undrafted too, probably because he was 5'8". eight. But um, yeah. but yeah, this this was a this was a nice pick for for them if if he continues to to do well.
0: Yeah, just taking a look at uh, the league of numbers. Actually, <laughs> his first season in the Liga was 2015-16, yeah, which. <laughs> Jack Eichel was a rookie back then. Yeah. To show you how long ago that was, uh, that year he had five goals, ten points, fifty-one games. Year two, only a goal in thirty-four games. Uh, at that time, he was with a Sat in the Liga. Uh, eventually, finds his way on Ills. Uh, his first season there, nine goals, twenty points, sixty games. Then he had his first noticeable season with twenty-one goals, forty-two points, and fifty-nine games. You mentioned uh, the pandemic shortened season where he had 43 points in 44 games. He had 15 goals there and 28 assists. This year, even better when he almost averaged a goal per game 16 goals in 19 games and 27 points in 19 games. So, over a point per game player as well. Uh, he um, played in 10 games for Finland at the World Championships uh, this past year. In that tournament, he had four goals and one assist for a total of five points. Pretty good there. Uh, in the AHL, he also played with the Rochester Americans. Got five goals and 13 points in 13 games. So what I was really impressed with is not the fact that he did considerably well on a Sabres team that didn't really have much to write home about. Is that he played in four different settings. Liga, NHL, AHL, yep. World Championships. And did pretty well in all four. Yep. So that that leaves me a lot to be excited about for this kid. And at the moment, he is 23 years old, uh, will turn 24 on October 29th. So already uh, he has done a lot, and there's still a fair amount of room to grow for this kid. So I'm, I'm yeah. excited to see what the future holds. And he should get a lot of opportunities with uh, a considerably younger Sabres team. Yeah, I
1: think it's interesting too. Is like the the Sabers were a mess this year, and like you know you insert him in, and like yeah, six points in seventeen games isn't a whole lot, but at the same time that's that's pretty decent. So it's like and five five of those are goals. It's like yeah. all right, he could be a legitimate player for them eventually, and and we'll see. Like maybe even next year, we'll we'll see. So. Um, Wait.
0: I I need to check something. Uh, I just need to be reminded how many goals Jeff Skinner had. Did did he actually get more goals than Uh, Jeff Skinner this year?
1: I'm going to bet no, Jeff Skinner has more.
0: Jeff Skinner had seven goals in 53 games. So... So, Rooster Linen was only two goals off of time, Jeff Skinner. Yep. And he played in 16 or 17 games, so, like, considerably fewer games than Jeff Skinner. So, his goals per game was better than Jeff Skinner by a fair amount.
1: Yeah. I love how you called him Rooster (laughs) Linen. It's also funny, too. It's like, you had, I remember when the Bruins were playing the Sabres, and you had, like, uh, so Jack Edwards would say, like, Oh, Ruetsalainen play Uh, passes it to Ristalainen, and it was just like so confusing because <laughs> like you had two similar na- names together, but I guess now that Ru- Ristolainen's not there anymore, you, you, there's no longer a confusion there. I guess unless they play the Flyers, but we'll see. Um, yeah, yeah it, it should be interesting. I was I was going to talk about I think uh, J. J. Paterka is It's another one. Jack Quinn um, is yeah. another one that's interesting too, but. Um, but I figured that Ruetzalainen isn't really talked a lot about, um, and yeah. and he should be. So, um, all right. So this is actually this was actually a pretty long episode. Hopefully, it's these these uh, series won't be as long. But I think it's because like we had th- three teams that uh, did a lot, and yeah. um, so th- that probably had a lot to do with it. Um, so so we'll see. Um, in Anyways, uh, to wrap things up, um, you can listen to us on SoundCloud and iTunes and Spotify, wherever else you get your podcasts. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at Laysa Podcast. Our uh, Facebook is Up. Um, that's about it. Uh, see you in a couple weeks. Um, I'm Brett Dubuff.
0: I'm Steve Ellsworth, and we'll talk again in episode 282, part two of our eight-part uh, off-season series on the Up podcast.